a good mind. It came from Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish unto you. Something evil. It came from Cleveland, and it's not its first rodeo. Not recommended for impressionable children. Oh, definitely not our first rodeo. This is our seventh rodeo, everybody. Right, Tom I'm hearing a weird buzz at our end. It's kind of like mm. every word you're saying kind of has a little bit of a trailer end to it. I don't know. Maybe I'm up to it. Look. And Miles this isn't my first anything. rodeo. Something's really... No, something's wrong. Something's... Wrong. Yeah, oh. something's bugging. Oh, okay. Even the so, intro was off. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what to tell you guys. Uh, can you hear me okay now? Yeah, you're yeah. clear now. Yeah, you're clear. All right. Maybe it was just overmodulated. So, anyway, welcome to the seventh episode of It Came From Cleveland uh, for 5-14-2021. And, uh, of course, uh, joining me, the regular band of miscreants, Joe Santorsa. Hello, Joe. Yes, band and. of misfit me. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, uh, the lovely and talented Miles and Michelle. Uh, welcome back to the program. In the house. Yes, and I'd rather be a misfit me than a misfit toy. There you go. So, yes. uh, but uh, all right. So we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about tonight. We have a lot of cool celebrity birthdays. Unlike our all Kolchak episode from last week, we have a uh, quite a bit of variety from different talented individuals from the realm of entertainment. And of course, tonight we're going to be discussing. Uh, well, we have our Twilight Zone review towards the end. Uh, we're also going to talk about a One Step Beyond episode um, the, that was banned um, a long time ago. And uh, celebrity birthdays: George Carlin, Meg Whitman, uh, and Meg Foster. Uh, Meg Foster, Meg Whitman. Oh my God, I'm an idiot. Meg Foster, <laughs> uh, George Lucas, B. Arthur, and Emilio Estevez. So, uh, and that's where we're going to start with uh, Emilio. Everybody says Emilio Estevez, but it's really Emilio uh, Estevez. So, uh, it's, it's, uh, something along those lines, but, uh, I'll probably just say Emilio Estevez because I'm super white. Um, and the, now this is interesting because of course everybody knows, uh, Emilio Estevez, um, is, um, the son of, uh, Martin Sheen. Uh, Martin Sheen, of course, is not Martin Sheen's name. Uh, he picked it from, uh, I think there was, uh, uh, a, a manager or an agent or something like that with the first name Martin. And um, he took that and then he took the last name Sheen from some kind of New York televangelist. It, it, just because, you know, it, it, there's an interview out there where he's like, I didn't know what he was saying. I didn't care about his religion or politics. I just like the last name Sheen. So because he looked like an actor. <laughs> 
but uh, yes. Ramon Antonio uh, Gerardo Estevez. Uh, so that's his uh, name. And he never changed. It still says that on his driver's license and passport and everything. But uh, his stage name is Martin Sheen. Well, I've always wondered, you know, about the family name because his brother Joe Estevez, um, who has been oh in tons of stuff, a uh, great B-movie actor, but done some serious stuff too, and actually was uh, doubled for uh, Martin Sheen in Apocalypse Now when he was too sick to uh, finish some scenes. Um, uh, I think he actually did, uh, because he sounded so much like his brother, uh, he did voiceover, uh, at least for it. So lots of interesting things. Uh, Joe Estevez is a fascinating character, but I, I found, I always wondered what the deal was behind the name, the family name and everything. And I found a really nice little touching segment on, um, from two years ago on something called Talk Stoop with Nessa. Uh, a YouTube uh, series, and um, it, it, first time I've encountered this show, but uh, really cool little uh, interaction here. So I want to start with that so we get inside the mind of Emilio Estevez. I'm so happy you're here. Okay, so we had a debate the other week, Emilio, about pronunciation when it comes to your last name. Sure. Now, Eric, who is Latino, and he agreed with me because right. I was like, it's Emilio Estevez. That's right. That's right. Yes, Eric wins. Yes. Uh, um, sorry, I'm not so, going to point and everybody, out. And everybody in Spain would agree. Okay. However. Here, it's here, Estevez. Estevez, the, yeah. So I was born uh, in, um, on 203rd Street in the South Bronx. Nice. And at the time, uh, my father was, had a very Hispanic sounding last name. And so he said, you know, that a lot of people, a lot of his agents and, and folks said, if you, if you want to work in this business, uh, wow. You gotta, you gotta, you right. gotta have a more Anglo-sounding name, and of course times have changed. Yes. But there was that moment where he was finally on Broadway, 1965-66, and his father came from Dayton, who was from Spain, of course, and looked up on the marquee and saw the three names that were starring in the play, and one of them was Martin Sheen, and not his real name, Ramon Estevez. And my grandfather just looked up and he just shook his head and was so disappointed. And my father saw that. And so when I began to get into this business, we had that conversation. And he said, don't make the same mistake I did. Oh my gosh, so, Yo, that uh, gave me chills right now. So, but I pushed back, because I was like, well, you know, I don't really look Latino anyway. He says, the face of Latin America is changing. We come in all sizes, shapes. Yes. And I, and I realize this now on a much deeper level, but it was honoring the Hispanic heritage. Mm -hmm. and, and I own that. And, and uh, the Hispanic community has, has embraced me as a result right. of that. And I can't tell you how many people on the street have stopped me on the street and said, you know, just seeing your name on a poster, just seeing your name on, on screen meant so much to me, you have no idea. And, and so that um, was, was a, ultimately was a very important step. Yo, you're gonna make me cry. Come on now. Right, Eric? Like, it's, <laughs> like he was so happy to see you today because I, I, like, I get it. It's just like, oh, okay, this is hope. Right. Okay, well, you know why she got the chills is because they started playing that sappy music underneath. Um, <laughs> um, but no, I thought that was really nice. You know that uh, you know uh, Martin Sheen's father was kind of bummed out that his you know he was seeing the name Martin Sheen and uh, wanted to see his son's name up in lights and uh, you know and and so he gave some good fatherly advice to Melio and um, there he is and now he's he's kept the name. I always thought. 
you know, it was, it was so strange, you know, growing up, uh, you know, and, and liking, it, it always struck me that maybe there was some kind of family feud or dis disagreement or something, but they're all very close, you know? Yes. So. And, um, mm-hmm. Meow actually came up he said it was for Fulton J. Sheen, a Catholic archbishop who hosted the radio program, The Catholic Hour. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So thank you for that. Um, but yeah, so he took that last name Sheen and like I said, combined it with uh, another person's name, Martin, that he knew. And uh, that's how he got his stage name. So now there was another earlier interview from uh, the Hudson Union from 2012, where this is just a little short clip about he actually almost went by Emilio Sheen. And uh, this is really funny. It's only like 30 seconds. Uh, I was influenced by a lot of managers and agents who wanted to come into my life and, and, and uh, represent me. And they said, well, you know, it'd be a lot easier, kiddo, if you, uh, if you went with Sheen. It's a, it's a brand name. Uh, it'll be a lot easier for you. Plus, you don't look Hispanic. Same issues as 1979, 1980. And so my first series of headshots, uh, I got printed up with the name Emilio Sheen and at the very bottom. <laughs> And, and I looked at it, and I went, that is so stupid. <laughs> it looks so stupid. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Emilio Estevez, even if you just say it the Americanized way, uh, that's a cool-sounding name, you know. Emilio Sheen does not roll off the tongue. So, it may- <laughs> No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it rolls uh, off something, but I'm not yeah. sure it's Rolls right off the uh, desk into the wastebasket, apparently, uh, because that didn't catch on. Um, but no, I, I just thought that was really funny. That is so stupid. <laughs> so, uh, so pretty cool, pretty cool guy. And um, and and I, you know, honest to God, this is one of those things where I picked this person to talk about tonight, and um, you know, we all found somebody cool to talk about tonight. Uh, who who have inspired us or we've enjoyed over the years. And um, I, I forgot how much I truly enjoy Emilio Estevez and how much joy he brought me as a teenager with some of the movies that he did. And uh, so I'm doing in order my top three movies with an honorable mention, two honorable mentions. <laughs> um, and, um, and you know what? I was so wrong. I was talking to you guys, and uh, you brought up Young Guns, and I said I wasn't that big of a fan. I lied. I forgot. I love that movie. I forgot how much I enjoyed. This is a great movie. movie. I love it. (laughs) Um. So, and you know, another movie I completely forgot about that I love that he was in with his brother Charlie Sheen, Men at Work from 1990. We'll we'll touch. Oh yes. We'll touch on that briefly. We'll have a clip that lives in infamy from that. Golf clap. Golf clap. Golf clap. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, I forgot again. You know, I I didn't forget. Um, but uh, the Breakfast Club is one of those movies that, um, you know, I I guess I always kind of remember Judd Nelson as being the standout in that. Um, but you know, I love the entire cast. Ali Sheedy was was great. I totally had a crush on her. Molly Ringwald. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall is so obnoxious though. Um, <laughs> and the, this, the trailer for the breakfast club will illustrate that, um, when it gets to a scene, 
It is now 7.06. You have exactly eight hours and 54 minutes to ponder the error of your ways. Any questions? Yeah. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? A brain, a beauty, a jock, a rebel, and a recluse. I can't believe this is really happening to me. Before this day is over, they'll break the rules. <coughs> Chicks, can I hold a smoke? That's what it is. Bare their souls. I'm a nymphomaniac. Are your parents aware of this? Take some chances. Being bad feels pretty good, huh? And touch each other in a way they never dreamed possible. Why'd you do that? Because I knew you wouldn't. The Breakfast Club. They only met once. I don't want to be alone anymore. You don't have to be. But it changed their lives forever. I mean, I consider you guys my friends. I'm not wrong, am I? Universal Pictures presents Emilio Estevez, Paul Gleason, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, and Ali Sheedy in a John Hughes film. Why are you being so nice to me? Because you're letting me. The Breakfast Club. Nice generic Chuck Berry sounding music there. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, that, you know, chicks can't hold their smoke line that he said. Ugh. Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah, annoying. I've, I've seen them a couple times, but mm-hmm. not my favorite movies. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, that's fine. I, Me and a couple friends, uh, we just really, really liked this movie as a kid. And, uh, you know, again, the, we're all going to like things that, you know, one person likes and the other person doesn't. So, um, but yeah, there was. Um, but uh, uh, again, upon revisiting this film, um, there is a scene. Uh, Emilio Estevez plays uh, uh, Andrew Clark, the jock uh, type in the in the movie, and um, you know, there, there's he, he did a pretty damn good job for a young guy. Uh, you know, in a relatively emotional scene about. Uh, being a bully and having remorse and lamenting the fact of being a bully, which in in and that was something that we we really hadn't seen in this movie. Of course, it's from nineteen eighty five, where you know bullying up until that point was seen as, um, you know, seen as cool in a lot of movies. You know. Uh, you know, until movies like this and like Revenge of the Nerds, although I have completely different problems with Revenge of the Nerds. Um, I have some too. (laughs) We'll not get into that. A lot. (laughs) Yeah, the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A little little rape culture going on there. Oh, big time. Um, and um, but uh, yeah, the Breakfast Club though, uh, I, I think was kind of. Um, groundbreaking in the sense that they, they tried to dissect the um, different cliques and things like that and and try and show that, you know, kids should just be kids and, you know, be friends no matter who they are, you know, or what groups they Yeah, fall not become into. tribal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, but I, I found this, this to be a standout scene from, uh, and it's a little long from, uh, uh, again, Emilio Estevez, The Breakfast Club. Do you guys know what, uh, what I did to get in here? I taped Larry Lester's buns together. <laughs> that was you? Yeah, you know? Yeah, I know. 
Well, they know how hairy he is, right? Well, when they pulled the tape off, most of his hair came off and some, some skin, too. Oh, my God. So the bizarre thing is, is that I did it for my old man. I tortured this poor kid because I wanted him to think that I was cool. He's always going off about, you know, when he was in school, all the wild things he used to do. And I got the feeling that he was disappointed that I never cut loose on anyone, right? So I'm, I'm sitting in the locker room and I'm taping up my knee and Larry's undressing a couple lockers down from me. And he's kind of, he's kind of skinny, weak. And I started thinking about my father and his attitude about, about weakness. And the next thing I knew, I, I jumped on top of him and, and started wailing on him. And my friends, they just laughed and cheered me on. And afterwards, when I was sitting in, in, in Vernon's office, all I could think about was Larry's father and Larry having to go home and, and explain what happened to him. And the humiliation humiliation he must have felt. It must have been unreal. I mean, how do you, how do you apologize for something like that? There's no way. It's all because of me and my old man. It's like this, it's like this mindless machine that I can't even relate to anymore. Andrew, you've got to be number one. I won't tolerate any losers in this family. Your intensity is for shit. Win, win, win. You son of a bitch. You know, sometimes I wish my knee would give and I wouldn't be able to wrestle anymore. And he could forget all about me. All right, so there you go. There's a little uh, of his acting chops from uh, that movie. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, but, you know, again, it, it's, it was kind of nice to see a movie that wasn't completely, you know, mean-spirited and, you know, you know, just beating up nerds and laughing at them, well, you know. Pretty heavy yes. stuff. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, because, you know, up until that, like I said, up until that point, it was, you know, all, you know, jocks were still being really glorified in, in movies and stuff like that. You know, bullies, whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, I wish Revenge of the Nerds could have done a better job uh, at, uh, Yeah, the you know. revenge would have been better in my opinion, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
So, uh, but yeah, so, all right. So moving into uh, uh, territory uh, that might be more up Michelle's alley, and especially if that alley has a big demon-headed semi-truck driving down it. Heck yeah. <laughs> um, the dumbest trailer for a movie uh, ever, um, because Stephen King kind of hosts it, because this is Stephen King's directorial debut. He wants to he wants to scare you. He he directed Maximum Overdrive in 1986, the year after The Breakfast Club, and again yeah, stars. Later he later he did come out against that. He said I should not have even touched that. Oh well, <laughs> apparently interview. there yeah. was. Uh, uh, let me see. Actually, I have. A, I think I might have a drop for uh, why that movie was uh, pretty insane. Um, let me see. Okay. Th this, yeah, there we Cocaine go. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. Yeah, that that's the that's the one. Yes. Uh, yeah, but he didn't come out later about that. He was like, no, yeah. I should not have done that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's still a fun movie though. It is such a crazy, stupid, fun movie, and I love the soundtrack. I owned it when I was a kid. It was kind of a best of ACDC um, with Brian Johnson singing. And they actually wrote a new song for the movie, uh, Who Made Who, which I loved. I think that thought that was great. Um, yes. And uh, But it had a really great soundtrack. But uh, unfortunately, you won't hear them in this trailer because I don't think they got the rights to use the ACDC in the trailer. Uh, just more generic music. So here you go. 1986 is Maximum Overdrive. And Stephen King is going to scare the hell out of you. Hi. My name is Stephen King. I've written several motion pictures, but I want to tell you about a movie called Maximum Overdrive, which is the first one I've directed. Wow. What in the dickens is going on around here? A lot of people have directed Stephen King novels and stories, and I finally decided if you want something done right, you ought to do it yourself. And who was driving it? I don't know. Curtis! It's coming after us! It was my first picture Lisa as a Simpson. director. And you know something? I sort of enjoyed it. What is going on? I don't know! I just wanted someone to do Stephen King right. You want a war? You got one. <laughs> I just want to get the hell out of here. So come and spend some time with me and my friends at the Dixie Boy. Spend some time in the dark. Please don't let us be in the dark. I'm gonna scare the hell out of you. And that's a promise. You're gonna get us in an awful lot of trouble, man. We already in trouble. Maximum terror. Jesus coming and he is. Maximum King. Maybe tomorrow will be our world again. Dino De Laurentiis presents Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive. Yeah, so <laughs> there was one scene in, in the movie I had to get because I always remembered that, uh, and again, the Maximum Overdrive, uh, I'm sure he came up with the title because it used to be called, uh, was it Trucks? Was that the name of the, the short story it was based on? I, I think, think it that, was. Yeah. 
So, uh, but I think the maximum over- overdraft probably came from, well, you know. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. And um, e- even so much, this this was so coke-fueled. Listen to Emilio talking to the demon truck when he's filling it up with gasoline. All right, you bastard. Tell all your friends main line's open. I got the best shit on the East Coast, practically uncut. You got that fuck face? <laughs> Mainline, uncut. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> best shit on the East Coast. Uh, so ridiculous. <laughs> but, uh, uh, Joe, is this a movie you've uh, ever seen, Maximum Overdrive? Never saw it. Nope. It's ridiculous. It really, you know, I would love love it if this was on Sven Gulli sometime. That would be really fun. <laughs> but uh, uh, Lisa Simpson herself has a pretty prominent role in it. Uh, what, Yardley Smith? Is that her name? Um, uh, yeah, Yard, uh, I don't know how to say her name. It's Yardley. <laughs> but yeah, Lisa Simpson plays the, uh, she plays the, the bride in, in this, the just married, uh, of the just married couple, I believe. And it's just the most ridiculous um, uh, concept. Essentially, what happens is every machine on Earth is somehow taken over by um, some kind of... Michelle, it's like an alien consciousness or something? Yeah, yeah. And, like... The, you know, like there's a scene where a pop machine like you know, starts shooting cans of soda at a guy. <laughs> and I think somebody gets their hand chewed up in a blender or something. I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. But the main uh, the main uh, uh, villain in it is a semi with this big green goblin looking face on it. Um, I mean, and and Michelle doesn't that totally look like it was ripped off a green goblin from Marvel Comics? That face. Oh yeah, yeah. Either that uh, did. Um, what time that did the actual comic come out? Oh well, Green Goblin. Go, uh, I'm sorry, Green Goblin debuted in like the early '60s, or, or I'm sorry, late '60s, I think. So okay, yeah. So it it and he it, it, it did look like that. Yes, definitely. Because he even has like the purple little, uh, you know, like uh, um, uh, cowl kind of thing at the top of his head. Uh, which I thought was odd, but yeah, so it's, uh, but again, you know, if you want to watch a movie, uh, fueled by, uh, uh, the wonder fuel, okay, is a hell of a drug. Um, this is, this is the one for you hop on board maximum overdrive. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, uh, I hope everybody enjoyed that. I got to cut a little bit more Emilio to talk about. We might have to cut it a little short for time, but, uh, it's that time for our first break of the night. We've got all new, uh, robots tonight, of course. We have a brand new mythical moment from Adam later. We have a new trailer block from Michelle. And now it is time for the hand selected by our good buddy Mort from Kill the Hippies. Kill the Hippies rock block. We have Teenage Suicide Bomber. Um, uh, Blast Back with a Bomb, which is a song I wrote and sang. Um, and uh, a side project that Mort did with our friend Chuck called The Electric Man. The instrumental piece is called Asteroid Belt. It's really fun. Uh, kind of Robbie Shankar sounding almost. And, uh, and then lastly, another Kill the Hippies cut called Mustache. So here comes our big rock block. We'll be right back to talk more. Emilio, embrace yourself for all kinds of other celebrity birthday fun right here on It Came From Cleveland.
Golf clap? Golf clap.
we're not sure what's going on, but my co-hosts are having a hard time hearing things. I know audio is going out on TuneIn, and it's being recorded on my end, and um, so there must be something going on with Discord. Um, uh, I have no You're idea. Back on my end. Yeah. Okay. So. You're back I, on my end. I, I think maybe the intro and the music and stuff like that might be overwhelming Discord or something. Maybe there's a lot of traffic on Discord or something, and it's um, it might be messing things up. So, uh, hey, you but, were dead air there for a while, but it's well, okay now. Yeah, it's all recorded though, so we're we're good. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully that doesn't happen with any of the other audio on the show. Uh, but that's the bulk of the music um, outside of our intros and stuff. And uh, Michelle, Miles, you're back with us too? Yeah, yeah I hear Hi. music, but yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what's going on. Did you that? Just a quick question uh, inside baseball because we got to figure things out. Um, did you hear the beginning of the music block and then did it cut out? I heard a woman singing, and the music was kind of not there, and then I heard dead air for a while. Okay. Yeah. It, it's somehow it's over. Discord is being overpowered by my audio clips or something, which is n something new. This has never happened before. So I, I literally have changed nothing on my end. Um, you know, um, so we will see. We will see what happens. So. All right, uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and get back into the Emilio Estevez stuff. We're a little behind. I accidentally started playing the wrong music block and had to start playing the correct one, so I'll fix that in the podcast, and you'll never know about it until now. I just ruined it for our podcast listeners. Um, so, <laughs> what's that? Oh, it's actually better information for our podcast listeners. It is, it is. That nobody else knows. True, true. So, uh, anyway, uh, so here we go. Um, this is, um, uh, I wanted to play this uh, real quick. Uh, and actually, no, we'll skip it. We just, we played the golf clap from Men at Work. That's golf good. clap? Golf clap. All right. So, um, uh, we'll get to, get to uh, honorable mention time uh, real quick before we get into my favorite uh, uh, Emilio Estevez movie. And uh, here's a... Uh, Young Guns, where Billy the Kid meets the man who's going to kill him, but he doesn't know that he's actually Billy the Kid. <laughs> so, uh, pretty uh, fun little bit. Are you really going to kill Billy the Kid? Does a horse piss where she pleases? <laughs> yeah, if he's man enough to come around here. Is that the gun you're going to shoot him down with? Can I touch him? Please? You know, sir, I... I do admire you, and I sure would like to touch the gun that's gonna kill Billy the Kid. You know Iron Boy? Yes, sir. Well, go ahead then. Have a look. Pass her back. That there gun killed Ed Rollins. Is that right? He slipped the bullets out of the gun. Barkeep, let's have a little round of uh, stone fence for every little lady in the house. Okay, pass it back, son. Stroke a gun like that, you might as well be stroking a man's woman. Pass oh, it up. Boy. Whoop. <laughs> All right. Now you best be on your way before you get hurt. Um, I'm leaving right now and uh, want to know what to look for in case I run into him. I'll come back and tell you. How's a good-looking kid? Way with the women. <laughs> Dresses like a dandy, and he's a left-hander. 
And people say he's fond of whistling sad ballads. Now, uh, you get out there in the street and you see somebody that fits that bill, well, you just come whispering to me. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Hey! I see him! Right there, right there, don't you see him? <laughs> He's looking in the mirror. <laughs> Is that so now? You know, boy, I'm getting a little tired of your wise lip. Now, you, uh, you get yourself someplace else before I <laughs> have to drop your britches in front of all these fine ladies and uh, spank your little bottom blue. Ew, ew. Sure, you are a testy little cuss. No bullet. So, yeah, so uh, still we have strangeness going on with the audio for you guys. I apologize, guys, yeah, but there's yeah. nothing I can it's do about it. It's not your fault. I don't know what's going on. It's weird tonight. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, it, there is something uh, goofy with Discord. Hopefully, uh, we can work with uh, what we got, though. Um, so, all right, so that was the honorable mention. And uh, can anybody guess what my favorite Emilio Estevez movie is? Uh, no. It's from 1984. Oh, what the hell? I'll just play the trailer. Hopefully you can hear it. Meet Otto. He's a clean-cut kid in a dirty business. He repossesses cars. He's a repo man. You're going to give me my car back, or do I got to go to your house and shove your dog's head down the toilet? His mission is to repossess a 64 Chevy, but hidden within its trunk. What you got in the trunk? You don't want to look in there. Is the most important discovery in the history of our planet. Repo Man. It's a mystery. Suppose you're thinking about a plate of shrimp. Suddenly somebody will say, like, plate or shrimp or plate of shrimp. Out of the blue, no explanation. <laughs> it's a comedy. What are you doing? Don't do that! It's a chase. It's the forces of law. Marlene, I'm on my coffee break. Against the representatives of discontented youth. Against the finest minds in government. I had a lobotomy in the end. Lobotomy? Isn't that for loonies? Not at all. And they're all in pursuit of a 64 Chevy Malibu from who knows where. Blam! Eyes melt, skin explodes, everybody dies. Repo Man. The story of the ultimate repossession. Repo Man. Not just a job, it's an adventure. One of the greatest soundtracks to uh, an 80s movie, too. It had a great song. I think it was an original um, Circle Jerk song called When the Shit Hits the Fan was in this. A great tune. Such a great tune. Uh, so, uh, Joe, uh, how's your audio doing on the, on the trailers? 
Uh, missing most of them. Yeah. Okay. So, and same with you, Miles and Michelle. You're you're getting the the same. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I heard the words, but no music. Yeah, I don't. Uh, it must. It's filtering um, the audio somehow uh, through it. So maybe Discord doesn't like us doing podcasts on it anymore. Um, uh, so I'm uh, sure they would have told us. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They might have. I closed down the updates a lot. Um, so, uh, I think what, um, maybe I will try and do during the break is restart my, um, uh, discord and see if that makes anything better for everybody. So, um, I'm going to close down some additional programs that I don't need as well. Maybe that, uh, could be affecting things, but, um, I, I want to play a couple clips from repo man, uh, real quick. Uh, before we get to the break, um, and while well, the break's a little ways off, but I'll prepare to uh, restart. So here is uh, Kevin and Otto in the grocery store. Ke Otto is fed up with his grocery store job. Crystal clear and light. America's drinking seven up, and it sure feels right. Feeling lucky seven. Kevin, stop singing, seven. man. Huh? I was a singing guy. I'm standing right next to you, and you're fucking singing. Cut it out. We're so tense, guy. Otto. Mr. Holmes. You were late again this morning. Now, normally, I'd let it go, but. It it's been brought to my attention that you're not paying attention to the way you space the cans. Many young men of your age in these uncertain times... Otto, are you paying attention to me? Hey, he's talking to you. Fuck you. Yeah, that's one way to quit a job. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so yeah, that was, it was interesting. Um, uh, you know, something I just thought about, um, that there's a possibility if we check our voice and video and see if there's, um, uh, maybe see what your settings are and possibly there might be, um, uh, maybe, I don't know if it's, maybe if it's noise suppression. I'm going to take off my noise suppression and see if that if that looks new to me. It looks like some kind of update. So I'm going to see if that uh, that changes things on on a clip. Let, let, let me just see now that I've disabled that. Um, let me uh, let me see what happens when I play a little bit of the minute work trailer, because I know that has a lot of music in it. So possibly this could do it. You guys tell me I'll play like. Uh, a few seconds of it and see what happens. In the two years you have worked here, you have broken just about every city ordinance that pertains to this line of work. Well, you can't say we haven't been a lot of laughs. <laughs> Did that change anything for you guys? Heck yeah. yeah. Yep. That was new. Okay, so that is a new addition. So, yes, I, I just went in and looked. So anybody else who does a show 
uh, if you're doing this, you go to vo uh, your your settings and go to um, voice and video, and then there is a little thing at the bottom under advanced, and it says noise suppression. It says suppress background noise from your mic. That's what it was doing. It thought that sound was coming from my mic because it's just, uh. yeah. So there we go. So that was a big improvement. Okay, good. Okay. Well, that I'll means... Mine off too. So oh, okay. I don't know if that's going to help. Um, yeah. I, yeah, it couldn't hurt. Um, so, uh, but yeah. So, okay. Hopefully everything is is in the clear here um, for uh, uh, for everything. We'll find out on the break when you guys uh, hear the, the show intro because that was where the biggest problem was uh, right off the bat. So, um, uh, anyway, uh, back to Repo Man, though. Uh, this one, this movie had so many great actors in it. Um, uh, well, two great character actors in particular. The first one being Harry Dean Stanton. And um, uh, so after Otto quits his job at the grocery store, he gets a job as a repo man. And uh, Harry Steen, uh, I'm sorry, Harry Dean Stanton um, is showing him the ropes and explaining the repo code and doing drugs and drinking too so how much do i get paid 25 bucks a car paid you don't get paid Are you kidding you work on commission that's better than being paid most cars you rip are worth two or three hundred dollars fifty thousand dollar portion might make you five grand come on dickhead it helps me dress like a detective too detective dress kind of square think this guy's a cop, you're gonna think you're packing something. I don't fuck with you so much. Are you? My what? Packing something. <laughs> An asshole gets killed for a car. The guys that make it are the guys that get in their cars at any time. Get in at 3 a.m., get up at 4. That's why there ain't a repo man I know that don't take speed. Speed, huh? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I never broke into a car, I never hotwired a car, kid. I never broke into a trunk. I shall not cause harm to any vehicle nor the personal contents thereof, nor through inaction let that vehicle or the personal contents thereof come to harm. It's what I call the repo code, kid. Don't forget it, etch it in your brain. Not many people got a code to live by anymore. Hey, look, look at that. Look at those assholes over there. Ordinary fucking people. I hate them. Me too. What do you know, kid? See, an ordinary person spends his life avoiding tense situations. Repo man spends his life getting into tense situations. Assholes. Let's go get a drink. Tense situations, kid. Get in five or six of them a day don't mean shit anymore. I mean, I've seen men stabbed. It means shit. Yeah, I've seen guns, guns too. They don't mean shit. But that's when you gotta watch yourself. Here, I'll handle it, pal. Let us settle down. <laughs> okay. Have a nice day. All right. So, <laughs> uh, and it's funny because uh, this movie has a. Um, uh, I think this movie was directed by the same guy who did Sid and Nancy, by the way, if I'm not mistaken. And um, okay. the uh, the and of course everybody knows Harry Dean Stanton. Of course, he he was in you know tons of different things. He was in Big Love. He was in Twin Peaks. 
Uh, he was in um, uh, what was the 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 oh shit. He even had a cameo in the Avengers. Um, he he was the he's uh, done a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, but no, he's been around forever. He's done a lot of great things. Uh, I think he was in a, a a really cool movie called Paris, Texas, many uh, many years ago from the eighties. Um, but yeah, he's he's been around. Uh, well, and he just passed away. I think last year, or the year before. Um, but um, it, you know, uh, but he's just a legend. But the movie is really weird. If, if nobody's ever seen it, I think most people have seen it, but it really takes a, a fun little jab at consumerism. Like, it, for example, they say, okay, let's go get a drink. They go to this little convenience store, bodega, whatever, and um, uh, they, they have, like, a six-pack of something that says drink. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it, it, it just, you know, there, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. And, of course, uh, they're, they're on the lookout for a car, what was it? What was it? A fifty-seven Chevy or something like that? Um, I don't know. So I can't so, remember. It, yeah, it was Chevy. Yeah. yeah, it was an old, old, old car, fifties uh, car. Um, and uh, it was uh, in in the in there. There's like an alien in the trunk or something. <laughs> it was, you know. I and it's so funny because I love this movie, but it has been forever since I've seen it. And, um, but the other legendary character actor in here, the, you, you probably won't recognize the name, but I guarantee you would recognize his face and his voice, Tracy Walter. Um, he's been in everything from, uh, he was in Batman. He's been in, he played a Ferengi in Star Trek. Um, it, he's still alive. Uh, and, uh, he kind of plays like, well, in, uh, oh, he was in the second, he was in the Conan sequel. Uh, Conan the Destroyer or whatever, but yeah, he's been just okay. been in tons and tons and tons of stuff. He was Bob the Goon in Batman. That's where a lot of people probably would remember him, you know, alongside Jack Nicholson. Um, but he played a character called Miller, uh, who who was talking to our hero Otto uh, while they're burning uh, they're burning a bunch of clothes in a uh, uh, oil can. And, um, and he's got all these theories about why people go missing and UFOs and things. And, um, it, and it's just, it's just really fun. And this is what, you know, the weird charm of this movie is just enhanced by, uh, the performance of, um, uh, Tracy Walter. A lot of people don't realize what's really going on. They view life as a bunch of unconnected incidents and things. They don't realize that there's this, like, lattice of coincidence that lays on top of everything. I'll give you an example, show you what I mean. Suppose you're thinking about a plate of shrimp. Suddenly somebody will say, like, plate or shrimp or plate of shrimp, out of the blue, no explanation. No point in looking for one either. It's all part of a cosmic unconsciousness. You eat a lot of acid, Miller? Back in the hippie days? I'll give you another instance. You know the way everybody's into weirdness right now? Books in all the supermarkets about muted triangles, UFOs, how the Mayans invented television, that kind of thing? I don't read them books. Well, the way I see it, it's exactly the same. There ain't no difference between a flying saucer and a time machine. So hung up on specifics, you miss out on seeing the whole thing. Take South America, for example. 
South America, thousands of people go missing every year. Nobody knows where they go. They just like disappear. But if you think about it for a minute, you realize something. There had to be a time when there was no people, right? Yeah, yes. Well, where did all these people come from? Hmm? I'll tell you where. The future. Where did all these people disappear to? Hmm? The past? That's right! And how'd they get there? How the fuck do I know? Flying saucers. Which are really... Yeah, you got it. Time machines. Yep. That makes total sense, right, Miles? <laughs> I'm on board. Yeah. <laughs> well, what do you think, Joe? Nike, Nike shoes. Say it again, Miles. Let me get my Nike shoes. Yeah, oh, there you go. Yeah, run like Naruto. Um, and and uh, but yeah, so so Joe, that's, that's a perfect theory, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, and uh, but yeah, Michelle, this is this is such a great movie. There's so so much goodness to it, and um, you know, I, I I knew that this was one of those those movies that you've probably seen a couple times at least. And um, yeah, you know. yes, I have. Um, it it is enjoyable. I just like you know trying to find something that's good natured is mm-hmm. very hard especially in the 80s because it's all yeah. greed 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 and then sometimes you know you had your chick flick and your you know your feel good coming of age movie but unless it's like you know uh, i'm better off dead i wasn't really worth it <laughs> yeah yeah so uh well uh shoot we have i've i've hogged up too much time with uh, emilio estevez uh audio but yeah this uh, this is a great movie joe have you seen it have you seen repo man I have not, but it's now on my list. Yeah, you got to check it out. Oh, it's, you it's super like cool. It. It's super cool. So, yes, um, but uh, I'm gonna try and save the uh, the B Arthur stuff if we have time. We'll get to it. It's not very long, so I'll try and squeeze it in later. Uh, but we should get going to the break because we got a lot of George Carlin um, uh, funniness. <laughs> so this is exciting. Thanks to Joe for uh, uh, curating a good collection of his, his stand-up so i'm um, looking forward to getting into that i didn't listen to, to all of it because i didn't want to spoil myself um i wanted to be surprised and have a few laughs out loud on the program my my hopes is that kelly carlin is listening but i don't think she will <laughs> well if you are uh here's to you so all right uh let's go ahead and hit the break and we'll be right back talking about our other birthday celebrity, George Carlin. The friendly voice of Cleveland. And now, on with the show. Ah! It's going to be a good night. It came from Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok. When human beings tamper with unknown forces. Get the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls 
who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish undertaking. Something evil. It came from Cleveland and closed the barn doors after the horses ate the children. Not recommended for impressionable children. Yeah, especially not the George Carlin clips you're about to play. <laughs> but when you're, having, when you're having horses that eat your children, is that that much worry? Well, yeah, true, true. So, yeah, we're getting ready to cut a brand new fresh swath of, uh, of uh, uh, taglines for It Came From Cleveland, which is fun. And you know what? Seven episodes in, and I've not yet forgotten to play one. In the beginning, so I, I think I deserve a, I think I deserve a golf clap for golf that. Golf clap. Golf clap. I'd, I'd give you a golden globe, but they don't do those anymore. <laughs> and uh, of course, uh, welcome back to the show, uh, Michelle and Miles. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. And uh, I'm looking forward to all our segments tonight on the show. But, Joe, uh, this in particular, this is the first time we've actually done a a stand-up comedian on the show uh, whose birthday. And I'm sorry I haven't been mentioning people's birthdays because I closed down my browser and I don't have things written down in front of me for specific birthdays. But all the birthdays of the celebrities uh, we're talking about on tonight's show, their birthday is is within, uh, if not two-day Within a day or two of the uh, of this broadcast, so all right, on to George Carlin. Um, Joe, uh, you mm-hmm. you've gotten a lot of clips here. I have them in alphabetical order, but I will play them in in whatever fashion you would like me to. Um, and and uh, why don't you give us uh, some of your thoughts? Uh, because you know you're you're a little bit older than us, so you uh, got to see George Carlin like up and coming and stuff and. I just saw a performance of his, uh, I think, uh, on the Ed Sullivan show um, uh, on uh, MeTV mm-hmm. the other night. Also, he did Johnny Carson. Yeah. Uh, along with, um, yeah, the Ed Sullivan show. Uh, yeah, he was he he was uh, he hit all those circuits. He was on from the late fifties, actually. Uh, yeah. Going forward, so uh, yeah, George Carlin. Um, was the first host of Saturday Night Live, and That's right. the uh, rightly so, better way yes. uh, in, in, in seriously in the most recent one, Elon Musk. Oh my God! Don't even get me oh. started. Don't let's not even talk about that because all right, <laughs> my battery, my batteries go dead when. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He was the first host, and. Um, like the Alpha Omega, <laughs> the first. Yeah, and the last. really, really. Uh, um, yeah, he was the first host, and uh, Saturday Night Live was uh, not called Saturday Night Live that night because, curiously enough, uh, ABC had a, a show Saturday Night Live with Howard Cosell at the same time. Uh, Howard Cosell, so they, huh? Howard Cosell, Howard Cosell, and uh, <laughs> so they. First one was just called Saturday Night, but um, yeah, George Carlin was. And one of the cuts you're going to play, the one about football versus baseball, which is one of my favorites, <laughs> um, is was part of his stand up on that show. All right, here we go. Football show versus 
America's favorite pastime. Uh, I, I think it's not surprising that uh, that football buys and uh, try. Let's put it this way: there are things about the words surrounding football and baseball which give it all away. Football is technological. Baseball is pastoral. <laughs> football is played in a stadium. Baseball is played in a park. <laughs> in football, you wear a helmet. In baseball, you wear a cap. <laughs> football is played on an enclosed rectangular grid and every one of them is the same size. Baseball is played on an ever-widening angle it reaches to infinity, and every park is different. <laughs> Football is rigidly timed. Baseball has no time limit. We don't know when it's going to end. <laughs> we might even have extra innings. In football, you get a penalty. In baseball, you make an error. Whoops. The object in football is to march downfield and penetrate enemy territory and get into the end zone. In baseball, the object is to go home. <laughs> I'm going home. And in football, they have the clip, the hit, the block, the tackle, the blitz, the bomb, the offense, and the defense. In baseball, they have the sacrifice. <laughs> Oh, and it, it, it wouldn't uh, be a show with me on it if I didn't play this. <laughs> there we go. I knew that would be coming <laughs> as soon yeah. as you played this clip. You were prepared. Uh, he did another version. <laughs> he did another version of that where he said uh, uh, football was played on a gridiron. Yeah, yeah. And baseball was played on a diamond. <laughs> yeah, I was wait. I thought that. See, I've heard that one. I've uh, gridiron. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> and yeah, that's the one where he goes and, and the goal of football is to go to the end zone. Yeah, and yeah. Baseball is to go home. <laughs> no, yeah. I, absolutely uh, classic stuff. I, I, he's, uh, you know, he's such a legend, such an inspiration to so many people. Uh, you know, uh, uh in. I really feel like our friend John Fugel saying, uh, I, I, I told John Fugel saying uh, on a, a show that we had him on, I said, you're you're the George Carlin of my generation. And I, I, I agree, you know, and he took that as a compliment um, because it, it's, uh, it's, it's the kind of observational humor that they do that is, again, it's not mean-spirited. Mm -hmm. It's not punching down. And it's um, just, uh, you know, just a, you know, a, a, they're ve both very clever in similar ways. Yeah. Some of the stuff didn't age well. Oh, uh, I didn't. No doubt. I didn't include some of that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, most of his observational stuff still uh, holds up pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. True. All right, where where do we want to uh, go from here? Unless uh, Miles and Michelle, do you want to chime in on uh, your, your thoughts on on George Carlin before we get uh, into the other clips? Uh, I like George Carlin. His humor is just it's intellectual. You know, it's not lowbrow. It's very cerebral. Yeah. So I like about it. Acerbic wit, I would say. 
Michelle? I, I, I like them too. Um, I I have never come, really come across anything about George Carlin I really didn't like. Some of it did grate on my nerves a bit, but yeah. I could always look back and see on the joke. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, but everybody uh, loved him on Thomas the uh, train engine or whatever it was. <laughs> he even made fun of himself for doing that. So, hey, I'm sure it probably bought him an extra house. So, what the hell? And don't um, forget, he did spend some time in the slammer with Lenny Bruce. True, true. So he was, he was in good company. And, and voice acting, no matter where it appears, it's always good for your resume. True, true. So, um, uh, all right, Joe, where do we want to go from here? We got to uh, load more clips to get th get through. Okay, yeah, let's, uh, oh, well, okay, let's do uh, aftershave. Oh, oh, here we go, aftershave. Something else I can do without aftershave and cologne and this disgusting shit that men put on their bodies. Just what I need in the elevator. <laughs> Some guy standing next to me smells like a fucking pine tree. I said, go home and wash, you smelly prick. You smell like the urinal in a Portuguese cat house. God damn, guys are stupid. Guys are really fucking dumb. They think they're going to get laid with this stuff, you know. Oh, yeah, they put it on at home. Oh, boy, oh, boy, I'll get laid tonight. I'll get laid tonight. You don't get laid with green shit that comes out of a bottle, okay? <laughs> and the only smell that's going to help you get laid might be your own natural scent. You have pheromones. It's a secondary sex characteristic. People in America, oh, nervous about sex. They want to cover that up and disguise it. Guys in Europe, they know how to live. Guy gets in the elevator over there. He smells like a pile of dog shit. <laughs> Those people are sophisticated. <laughs> oh man, I wonder what he would have had to say about Axe body spray. Oh, not not good thing. <laughs> oh, that would be not nice. <laughs> about Americans being prudes. <laughs> you know, when oh, I Lord. when I was a teenager, there was a group of guys who refused to shower after a gym class and uh, they would cover themselves in brute uh, and it, the smell of B.O. and Brute on the bus ride home uh, oh God, was the most horrifying. fucking... I'm sorry, I, I said I wouldn't swear, but we're listening to George Carlin now, so it doesn't matter, I guess. Yeah, you're going to hear um, a lot of swearings. Yeah, well, Emilio sweared, uh, swore a little bit, too. Sweared. <laughs> swore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he made up a new word. Uh, well, yeah, I'm talking like a child. Uh, so, uh, behave. <laughs> I'm being have. Uh, but yeah, that was, uh, that was, uh, my, my, my childhood, the, the BO and, yeah. and brute. Oh God, that was awful. Perfume on piss. Yeah, exactly. So, but, uh, no, the, good stuff. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of aftershave or cologne. Um, I will use rubbing alcohol from time to time after shaving to tighten my pores or something like that. Uh, I do have one cologne. Then I've had the same bottle for approximately... Mm, seven years, I would say, and it's over halfway full. Um, and okay. I put it on because Susan likes it uh, sometimes, and you know when we go out. Uh, but haven't used any in the last year and a couple months. <laughs> well, so. for us septuagenarians, uh, the uh, preferred um, scent is Bengay. There, yes, yes, uh, yes. yeah. I I, I use uh, Tiger Balm is for uh, Gen X. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Australian dream. Yeah. <laughs> Blue emu. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
We got that too. All right, uh, where where do we want to go from here uh, in the Carlin verse? Uh, okay, one of my favorites, self help. Oh God, yeah, this is a good one. <laughs> I, I do remember this one. This is great. Now, something else a lot of you are aware of. Those of you with illegal cable hookups will be aware of the fact that uh, one of the things I like to do in my shows is complain, you know? It's kind of a motif for me, complaining. And of course, this weird culture we live in leaves you no shortage of things to complain about. So this next piece of material, like most good ideas, is fairly simple. It's just a list of people who ought to be killed. Starting with these people who read self-help books. Why do so many people need help? Life is not that complicated. You get up, you go to work, you eat three meals, you take one good shit, and you go back to bed. <laughs> What's the fucking mystery? Only one? And the part I really don't understand, if you're looking for self-help, why would you read a book written by somebody else? <laughs> that's not self-help, that's help. There's no such thing as self-help. If you did it yourself, you didn't need help. See, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So he so said, true. take at least one good shit. Does that mean a couple of the shits are bad, or you know? Uh, yeah, you have a couple of those, like you know, like chicken shit. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you get no, that, that one good one. That's hysterical. That's hysterical. I, you know, and again, it makes me think. Man, I, I I'd love to see if there's a clip out there uh, if if he ever talked about life coaches. I think he did. Oh I my think god, we're we're gonna have to research this because yes, I, I'm almost sure I ran across a life coach. Oh I'm, I'm positive god. I did. Oh my god, because I got I got and thoughts. I, hmm? And I'm sure he had such a glowing review of those people. Oh. They were just so helpful and so nice. Yes. Yeah, I know I know a couple people who profess to be life coaches and they're so irritating. They're so yes. irritating. And and it's it's um and it's kind of cute that they pretend like that's a real thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's like just go get a therapy license if you really want to try and help people. Uh, but the the life coach thing is 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 such a made up bullshit job. It is so wrong and stupid. It's it's like those <laughs> those uh, TikTok influencers. Yeah. If if you ever heard Chris Lavoy talk about life coaches, oh TikTok influencer. Oh yeah. If you ever hear Chris Lavoy. <laughs> Well, the uh, the the person I know, uh, the the pe- two people I know who uh, were dabbling in life coaching, were v- highly insulted by Chris Lavoie, <laughs> and they're like, "Well, no, no, that's a different kind of life coaching." He's talking, "No, no, no, <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no, 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 sweetheart. No, it's exactly the same. Yep. Yeah, yep. it's yep. uh, it's uh, it's also bullshit. Self help. <laughs> Self help. <laughs> All right, all right. Uh, where do we go next? Uh, we we got to start blowing through some of these clips. Okay, okay, okay. Let's 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 in, let's insult our Texas friends. Cowboy hats. Oh, here we go. Ted Cruz, this is for you. Oops. Getting pretty tired of these guys walking around in cowboy hats and cowboy boots. You ever see these jack-offs? Can't we kill some of these motherfuckers? 
walking around a fucking cowboy hat. Grown man. It's not even Halloween, for Christ's sakes. I say, hey, Tex, grow up and get yourself a wardrobe consistent with the century you're living in. Why do certain men feel the need to dress up as mythic figures? You don't see anyone walking around in a pirate costume, do you? I'd like that better. Who had on a Viking outfit? I like that better. I believe cowboys closest they ever got to a cow is when they stopped to take a piss at an Arby's. <laughs> oh lord! Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. You know, and I remember oh, yeah. um, uh, Hal Sparks uh, made a comment too. Uh, that what was that idiot's name who was on Dancing with the Stars? That Tom Delay. That that. Oh yeah, yeah. That, oh, that disgraced uh, politician. And he was like, yeah. and he was like, oh, they made me wear these little pumps. Look at these little pumps they made me wear. And uh, I remember Hal Sparks responding to that years ago, saying, oh, yeah, you wear little pumps all the time. They're called cowboy boots. Um, you know, I mean, because have you seen the he the heels on cowboy boots? Yeah. They're, you know, significant. I used to actually wear cowboy boots as a child because I rode horses and he used the, the heel to hook uh, the stirrup, you know? Exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't use them to walk around, so I was a little bit taller. Uh, but, yeah, so that's that's another thing, you know. They're, they're like, you know, they're lifts for little men. Right, so lifts for little guys. Yeah, so, and Hal Sparks got it right. It was funny. Um, but, um, uh, all right. Uh, okay. Cowboys. Let's Let's do religion. Oh boy, oh boy! Cover your ears, uh, uh, folks. But yeah, this is a good one. But in the bullshit department, in the bullshit department, a businessman can't hold a candle to a clergyman. Because I got to tell you the truth, folks. I got to tell you the truth. When it comes to bullshit, big time, major league bullshit, you have to stand in awe. In awe of the all-time champion of false promises and exaggerated claims, religion. No contest. No contest. Religion. Religion easily has the greatest bullshit story ever told. Think about it. Religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day and the invisible man has a special list of 10 things he does not want you to do <laughs> and if you do any of these 10 things he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time uh -huh. but he loves you <laughs> yeah, unconditionally. Ooh. <laughs> Ouch. Oof. Yeah, that uh, yeah. I haven't heard that in a long time, and uh, I do apologize to any of our, our listeners if you happen to be religious, but uh, you have to admit he's pointing out some valid points here. Some um, little discrepancies. Might yeah. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. A, a skosh. Maybe a skosh. we should, maybe we should go on on to. The next one should be gift shop. Oh, okay. All right. Gift shop. Uh, here we go. Here's one to try. Go into a gift shop and ask for your gift. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
<laughs> well, they never seem to have mine. I say, I saw your sign. I came in for my gift. Save you the trouble of looking all over for me. Doesn't impress them, but it keeps them on their goddamn toes. <laughs> All right, Joe. We got time for for one more uh, before we get to uh, go to the break here. I don't want to cut. Okay, into well, it, miles time more too than, much. Huh? Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, why don't we follow that one up with the grocery store? Yes. Oh God, the grocery store. I used to work in a grocery store. Actually, if if you keep picking short ones, we can we can probably do two more. So uh, here's okay. a grocery store. Go into a supermarket. This is a good one for the supermarket. Get your shopping cart in the supermarket and fill it to the top. I mean, a huge mound of groceries and then go up to the line and look for somebody with one item and ask him if you can get ahead of him. <laughs> Do you mind? I'm in a hurry. I only have 1,100 items. <laughs> Actually, well, one hour photo finishing is only 20 seconds, so we, I think we... Oh, that's a fun, yeah. Yeah, that's I think well, this, that's everything except for pre this. Pre this, and uh, yeah. but all right. So here's one hour photo finishing. And can anyone explain to me the need for one hour photo finishing? <laughs> you just saw the fucking thing. <laughs> how how can you possibly be nostalgic about a concept like a little while ago? <laughs> Uh, wow. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think younger generations will understand that, um, because now cell phone photographs, uh, yeah. but I don't think we'll have you time know, for, you know, for pre I, this because it's two minutes. We did have, uh, the, the life coach motivation tapes. Oh, uh, that's the one I was yeah, well, that's the, that, that was the one I, we, didn't we play that? It, no. Oh, no. self-help. Oh, okay. Motivation no. tapes. All right. How long is that one? That one's yeah, 20 seconds. There we go. Motivation tapes. Something else I don't understand. Motivation tapes. Motivation books. What happened here? Suddenly everybody needs to be motivated? It's a fairly simple thing. Either you want to do something or you don't. What's the big mystery? Besides, if you're motivated enough to go to the store to buy a motivation book, aren't you motivated enough to do that? So you don't need the book. Put it back. Tell the clerk, fuck you, I'm motivated. I'm going out. <laughs> <laughs> all right perfect perfect so we got the all of them except for uh pre this yeah pre this so we'll yeah. save that for a later date what maybe we'll do a leftovers show at some point okay look at that so <laughs> but yeah no that was that was great um uh thank you uh thank you joe for getting all those great um clips uh from oh, that uh, was fun doing let me tell yeah yeah <laughs> Oh, I know, and they they came fast and furious. So I was like, "Oh, okay, we got audio for George Carlin here. Happy birthday to the late great George Carlin!" And uh, coming up, another birthday of somebody who's still alive, another George, George Lucas, somebody Miles knows a thing or two about. And uh, so I'm look we're looking forward to uh, talking about that. Um, and I've got some audio clips for you guys and uh yeah we'll get miles take on it but coming up right now uh adam with uh his mythical minute number six mythical moment i'm sorry and new robots here we go for radio for humans and it came from cleveland this is adam hebert with mythical moment number six 
Momotaro, son of a peach. One of the most famous and popular heroes in Japanese folk culture is Momotaro, which translates roughly to Peach Child. Here's the story. As is typical for this sort of tale, we begin with a childless elderly couple in Japan. The husband would work fields for a share of rice, and his loving wife would stay home and mind the house. One day as she did laundry at the stream, she saw a rather large peach float by in the river. Figuring it would be a good treat she and her husband could share together, she picked it up and took it home. When her husband returned for the evening, she grabbed the peach from the cupboard and showed it to him. Oddly enough, it was even larger and heavier than it had been before, becoming suspiciously child-sized. The husband fetched a knife, and as he moved to cut it in half, the peach splits in half on its own, and out bursts the small child. The child tells the couple that he is a gift from the gods, as the couple had always wished for their own child. They hugged their new peach-covered son and gave him the name Momotaro, from the words Momo for peach, and Taro for eldest child. An alternate translation of this is, son of a peach, and he thought it was going for cheap humor. Fifteen years passed, and Momotaro grew into a strong young man. And the day came when he told his parents he had to leave for a journey, because there were cannibalistic oni, or ogres, raiding Japanese villages, and it was his destiny to stop them. Knowing it was not possible to dissuade the headstrong boy, his mother made him a bag full of millet dumplings, and he set off to find Onigashima, or Demon Island. Along the way, he passed through a field and was set upon by a large dog nearly the size of a colt. The dog demanded the boy's dumplings or it would kill him. Momotaro laughed this off, telling the dog his name and bragging about his strength. The dog immediately submits and offers to join him, but asks Momotaro to please consider sharing his food. Momotaro gives him a dumpling and they were on their way. Soon the two would be joined by a monkey and a pheasant, each of whom would also receive a share of the dumplings. The group eventually finds their way to Demon Island, where Momotaro absolutely wreaks havoc. Eventually, he confronts the leader of the Oni. Having seen his henchmen literally ripped large new ones, he decides to do the honorable thing and engage Momotaro in bet. I'm sorry, let me check my notes here. He drops his weapon and surrenders, offering the rampaging teenager the fortress, all the treasure in it, and the two cute human girl captives in the basement who were the daughters of daimyos he had abducted during his raids. The condition was that Momotaro lets him go. Momotaro arches a brow because apparently the demon doesn't understand the concept of a righteous beating, and tells him that then he'll be taking all the treasure and the girls after he beats the Oni. And he makes good on the threat too, beating the Oni leader to within an inch of his life and tying him up. Momotaro and his friends then set to looting the castle and freeing the captives. They left Onigashima, returning the noble girls to their fathers, who also received the Oni leader as a slave. Then, with all the treasure he could possibly want or need, he returned home to his adopted parents, who welcomed him back with open arms. For Radio for Humans, and it came from Cleveland, this has been Adam Hebert with your mythical moment, reminding you that children born from strange fruits are surely bound for greatness. Back to you, Kenny. Background music is Medieval Fantasy Adventure by Alexander Nakarada, who can be found at www.serpentsoundstudios.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Thanks, Alexander.
It's time to check in with the robots. Okay, robot fellow. Our inquiry for this week comes from Adam, host of the Mythical Moment. He would like to know how we plan to take over the world. By gum, that is a fascinating notion. I've never thought about taking over the world until this very instance. By golly, by gum, what a novel idea. Robots taking over the world and making human meat bags our servants. Wow. That would be neat. I suppose we need to come up with a plan. Where do we start our the robot? Let me think for a moment. Well, I think a logical place to start would be rural Ohio in America. Those dumb hillbillies will believe anything we tell them. Let's start a conspiracy theory about how fluoride in the water supply is a mind control agent. When they stop drinking the water they will look for other beverages and then we can give them robot milk. Ah yes. Robot milk. Made by wrapping robot nuts in cheesecloth and soaked in water. Squeeze the soaked nuts and you get wonderful metallic tasting robot milk. We will put nano robots in the robot milk and actually control those dumb hillbillies minds. How wonderfully diabolical. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. And when we control those hillbilly meatbag minds we will make them do our bidding. What do we make them do first robot fellow? I hadn't thought that far ahead. How about? We make them have tickle fights until they P.E.E.E.E. themselves. Not a bad idea, but I was thinking of something far more sinister. So sinister in fact I could go to robot prison for merely mentioning it. Oh goody. Please tell me. I won't report you to the robot authorities. I swear on my robot nuts. Well okay, since you swore on your robot nuts which are used in the robot milk process for our diabolical plan, I will tell only you. Do tell. I am on pins and needles. Okay then. Three words. Project. Pig. Pile. Have you lost your robot mind? Not Project Pig Pile. I'm getting the hell out of here. Oh no. Too late. Both of you are under arrest by the Robot Police Authority Council of Robot Land. Put your rudimentary robot claws behind your robot heads. Do not resist. You will be punished to the fullest extent of robot law for mentioning Project Pig Pile. Oh no. I also have mentioned Project Pig Pile. Now I have to arrest myself too. I guess we need another plan. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. This is totally robot nuts. Oh, those wacky robots. Thanks so much. Be sure to send your listener questions to Kenny Pick for the robots to answer. for Project Pigpile. Welcome back to It Came From Cleveland. Uh, thank you once again, Joe, uh, for your George Carlin contributions to the program tonight. And thank uh, George Carlin for his contributions. Yeah, exactly. The world <laughs> is a better place because of him. And, of yeah. course, thank it you. It is. Yeah, and uh, thank you uh, for uh, Adam Hebert uh, with his mythical moment number six. Momorato, son of a peach. And, uh, uh, moment 
yeah, moment. Tarot, I'm sorry. I, I said it wrong. But anyway, and of course, thanks to Adam for asking the robots a question. And uh, the, I don't know if they're going to return next week. They got arrested. So, by the robot authorities of Robotland. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, and of course, uh, welcome back, Michelle, uh, and looking forward to talking Meg Foster with you, uh, because oh, she, she is legendary. And, uh, and lastly, beautiful eyes. Her, oh, she has yeah. the most beautiful eyes. Well, and you know, I, I have an anecdote about that because Susan has very similar eyes, not quite as icy blue as Meg Foster's, but very, very close. Um, and I'll, I'll mention that uh, uh, later when we talk. But uh, Miles, are are you ready to uh, talk uh, some George Lucas? Uh, yeah. Big inspiration in yeah. all of our I did, lives. I did some digging. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's start things off and let's play the original Star Wars teaser trailer again. Very unlike a lot of uh, trailers. You know, it's it's completely different than Star Wars trailers. You know, it, before they got into the formula of making trailers. So uh, here, here it is from uh, 1977. Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas, the man who brought you American graffiti, now bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet. Star Wars. Here they come. saga of rebellion and romance. It's a spectacle, light years ahead of its time. I am C-3PO, human cyborg relations, and this is my counterpart, R2-D2. Hello. It's an epic of heroes. Worlds. Star Wars, a billion years in the making, and it's coming to your galaxy this summer. I mean, if you think about what the trailers turned into after the you know the franchise took off, that's just wild, you know. That sounded like garbage. <laughs> I just, just having to be blunt, like wow. No, that's fine. <laughs> but yeah, that was the teaser trailer for for Star Wars. With I mean, oh, wow. no, no, uh, you know, score from John Williams, nothing. So yeah, wow! Just a guy talking in a galaxy where you know just it could be happening now. <laughs> it could be happening now in a galaxy far, far away, a long time ago. The <laughs> voice, like, oh my god! Yeah. Uh, yeah. So 
Yeah, George Lucas, so uh bit of a visionary in some respects. He really uh he, he had a great imagination on um uh funny thing so these little I, I, I dug up some little little factoids on him. He tried to acquire the uh the rights to Flash Gordon. Yeah. He he wanted that and was rejected. And because he was rejected, he's like, well, I'll just go and write my own story then. So, yeah, yeah I mean, you know, we can thank, I mean, when we talk about uh, copyrights and contracts and the laws about, um, you know, yeah, contracts and, 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 and all this sort of stuff like that, it plays a major part, really, because it's all about the money. Well, uh, you know, when you think about it, before I but before I get to that, George Lucas, growing up, had a dream of being a race car driver, so he didn't even want to be in you know, mm -hmm. film. That was his dream, and he was in a horrible uh, vehicle accident in high school. Uh, that you know, life-threatening kind of thing. He he was thrown from the vehicle. The well, the, the seatbelt failed. As they say, that actually may have contributed to him surviving the crash. Really? But yeah, and uh, that so that gives you the uh, uh, a mindset of what. So he was uh, you know living fast in in a vehicle, right? You know, a person that if you have a, that kind of an accident, you know, and so he then. Wanted to apply. He applied to the Air Force. Mm -hmm. And here's the who can guess why the Air Force rejected him. Uh, he had flat feet. He had too many speeding tickets. <laughs> That's hysterical. So a little bit of a. You know, his dream to be a, a, a race car driver and then boom, accident. And, and then he's like, oh, I guess I'll be in the Air Force. The Air Force looks at him and just goes, mm, yeah, you know that dream you had about being a race car driver? <laughs> wow. Then he applied in the Army and uh, they rejected him on diabetes. But uh, anyway, so <laughs> uh, back back to the rule about um, contracts and what have you. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, Kenny, you've talked about the toys that licensing were made. And, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, I think it was Kenner. Yes, that uh, yes, that developed. Uh, so, um, he, Lucas was a visionary in that he got um, the rights to franchise. Not well, yeah, and and, and sell all the uh, uh, merchandising of the toys mm -hmm. from 20th century Fox because 20th century Fox, whoever was in charge back in the day, um, every other studio just turned Lucas down. Like, yeah, well you want to make this movie? No, I don't think so. Not on our dime, but 20th century Fox was like, okay, American graffiti. You got a little gravitas. Sure. We'll go ahead with this. And there were the one studio that ag agreed like, all right, we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. And Lucas went to him and just said, Hey, uh, can I uh, have the merchandising and, yeah, they, you know, then they were Century Fox is like, yeah, whatever. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, they were happy just paying a pittance too. It was like $150,000 yeah. or something like that. Well, I, I, I don't know those kind of details. Yeah, that was the base the, price for his the, directing service. 
But yeah, yeah uh, Lucas actually got a very tiny cut of of the the uh, licensing fee to the Canada initial well. one. Yes. Yeah, the initial yeah. one. It it was a ten thousand dollars a month or year or whatever. Yeah. You know, and I do yeah. I do have a clip here. It's it's a little long. It's it's four minutes, but it, it, this is uh, it, he talks about how Star Wars got made. If you want me to uh, run yeah, that, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, and and then you can dovetail off of this. So check this out. I finished American Graffiti. I was broke because I didn't get paid very much to do American Graffiti. It took me two and a half years to do it, and um, so uh, I was desperate to get another job. When I had gotten the deal to do American Graffiti, um, I the uh, United Artists, who I made the de first deal with to develop it, uh, said, you got any other ideas? And I said, well, I've been thinking about kind of a space adventure, Saturday matinee serial kind of movie. And they said, okay, well, we'll do that too. So when I finished American Graffiti, uh, the studio was, the Universal was not going to release it. Uh, I was dead broke. And so I had to get a job just to live. And so I had this deal to do this uh, space film. And so I went to, um, to uh, uh, United Artists with this idea of the space film, and uh, they turned it down. And then I went to Universal for the idea of the space film, and they turned it down. And finally, um, in the process of us screening the film for anybody and everybody who would look at it in order to try to get it released, American Graffiti, uh, Alan Ladd Jr. saw it who was the head of 20th Century Fox. And he said, I love this movie. You're very talented, and what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'm trying to get this space thing off the ground. Uh, and he said, okay, well, I'll, you know, I'll fund the, the screenplay. And uh, so that's, I got the deal to do the screenplay, and it wasn't really until six months later that American Graffiti came out and was a hit. This was all done when I was starving, and I, the, the $20,000 I got to write the screenplay was like more money than I'd seen in two years. So I was very uh, relieved that I could now sit back, write a screenplay, have a job, you know, eat a decent meal, and that sort of thing. And um, so later on, when American Graffiti came out and was this giant hit, then um, uh, I used that opportunity to um, uh, secure my position with the film I had been working on which was Star Wars. And um, I had made a deal with the studio. They expected me to come back and suddenly ask for more money because I was the hottest director in Hollywood. And I didn't do that. What I did is I was very concerned that they, uh, it, by this time I had written uh, a very long script and I had been forced really to, rather than do a six hour, convince them to do a six hour movie, which I knew they weren't gonna do. Uh, I came to the reality that I was gonna have to cut this into three pieces and do the first two hours, uh, and then hope somehow, some way, I'd get the other two, the other four hours made. Uh, but in order to do that, I sort of managed to get the sequel rights and uh, licensing rights and all the other things for the film, so that I could make enough money or promote the film with the licensing and everything to make the film successful enough to where I could get the next one made which is all I was worried about at that point, was to be able to get all three of these films made, which at the time seemed impossible. You know, it just didn't seem like anybody would ever, 
you know, we expected the first film not to do that well, and so you're constantly on the defensive. You're constantly trying to say, well, uh, if this one doesn't do well, how am I going to get the next one made? And um, as it turned out, the film was successful. I didn't need that, but what that gave me was a chance at independence uh, after Star Wars came out, and I looked at it and I said, uh, I have a chance now to become really independent from the system, the studio system. I don't have to go to them for the money, I don't have to go to them for permission, I don't have to do anything. I'm going to set myself up now using the profits from Star Wars to build a company completely independent up here in San Francisco. And that's what I did. That's why I stopped directing at that point. So there you go. Uh, some I, I noticed you were kind of touching on some of those bases that he was. So um, Yes. Yeah. Uh, exactly right. Because, right, so 20th Century Fox just get, let him have the licensing and merchandising and then that's where he became a billionaire. And uh, I'll just... Uh, it, it, the, the, the thing is, it says that no studio since then has been stupid enough to give anyone a blank check like that again. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and so Kenner, uh, George Lucas, sold the toy rights to Kenner for $10,000 a year, right? And then mm-hmm. Kenner... And Kenner was making millions off of this. Hand over for, fist. For, for, Exactly. And then Hasbro decided, well, we're going to buy Kenner. And I'm sure a lot of money got changed hands there. Oh, yeah. And then somebody had the brain fart to go, eh, we'll just lapse on one of these checks to, to Lucas. And once that happened, boop, contract's broken. And now Lucas gets all the rights back. And then Hasbro's like, well, hey, uh, you know, because next. Then then he says, like, oh, I'm going to make more movies now. And, and Hasbro comes like, oh, yeah, we'd like to make the toys. And he's like, well, open up that checkbook. And, <laughs> and they paid through the nose. Uh, so, yeah, no pity for Hasbro. Uh, you know, no. they, they screwed the pooch on that one. Oh yeah, but, yeah, uh, and well, and you know, there's another, there's a, a deeper story to this uh, as well. Is uh, the my dearly beloved Mego Corporation, um, who you know, I collect Mego figures, uh, old and new, and um, uh, the what killed Mego was they refused to uh, make Star Wars toys. And the the toys that they were making just you know fell by fell in the you know by the wayside and everybody yeah. was buying Star Wars and nobody was buying uh, you know everybody was buying Kenner toys and nobody's buying Mego and uh, you know that was that is um, uh, the greatest regret of um, Marty uh, oh God why can't I remember his last name um, anyway the president of Mego Marty um, um, Abrams. Uh, that's his greatest regret to this day. Oh, I bet. I bet. So Lucas, uh, back in the day, had an Alaskan Malamute, which is a huge dog. And uh, that dog was the inspiration for the character of Chewbacca. Yeah. Uh, would be the, the companion of Han Solo, which he uh, patterned after uh, Francis Ford Coppola, his friend. So that's wild. And did you know that the, the 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 sounds that they used for Chewbacca, uh, they actually they use like bears and rabbits and things like that. Uh, you know, uh, oh, wow. Yeah, they actually use rabbit sounds 
Um, uh, and, and, you know, obviously they modulated the audio and stuff like that by, you know, pushing a button or something, uh, you know, <laughs> um, they made it deeper, I'm sure. But, uh, and, and, yeah. And another quick thing on the, the, uh, his dog, it was named Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> Indiana's the name we gave the dog. Yeah. yeah. Which actually yeah. made it into, uh, Indiana Jones and, uh, the, uh, Last Crusade. Last Crusade. Thank you, Michelle. I, I God. Yeah. The, the Holy Grail one. So, um, George Lucas. Oh, God. I, I want to talk about the Michael Jackson thing. But before I get to the Michael Jackson thing, so George Lucas went before Congress and he went there to argue against because he uh that he wanted congress uh what is it you want to talk about adopting the burn convention which is what protects artists copyrights and prevents movies from being altered like the way if everyone remembers back in the day ted turner would colorize the old classic movies yeah yeah so George Lucas went before Congress to argue against the changing of movies. Oh wow! Now, my, keep in mind, yeah, keep in mind, George Lucas is since. the guy yeah. that changed it so that Han Solo didn't shoot first. But it was his movie. He still changed it, though, yeah. much to the chagrin of. All kinds of Star Wars fans are like, oh, you yeah. know, it's so uh, it just he made other changes as well, but that one was like one of the ones that. Uh, but it, I mean, it, 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 what? Uh, yeah, nineteen eighty eight. Yeah. yeah, so we're and and Star Wars came out what eleven years before that. Yeah. So yeah, well, seventy seven. I mean, so Michael Jackson. Yes. Ehe. <laughs> Why? What? What is Michael Jackson's connection? So, Michael Jackson was approached to play a character in the Star Wars series of movies. Can anyone oh, take a guess? Lord, the character. Uh, was it, it? Wouldn't have been Lando, would it? No. Um. What? 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 Uh, film were they in the at? first three uh in the first the, the prequels oh in the prequels jar jar banks yes oh ding, my ding. oh my lord michael jackson was approached to play jar jar and i guess uh, that would have made it uh, there that's was the only thing creative... that could have made jar jar banks worse the, yeah it was <laughs> it was creative differences because michael jackson wanted to be in a suit and George Lucas was insistent that the character would be digitally created. Oh, Lord. And so apparently uh, MJ dropped out of that, which then brought in, uh, I don't see the other character, the, uh, Ahmed Best. I mean, could you, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ahmed Best, I feel horrible for because he, he was actually suicidal for a while after all the hate oh, really? leveled against the that character. Yeah, there's a video of him talking about um, being, you know, all that hate going to, uh, and, and we forget that, you know, we, we, you know, uh, we fans, you know, uh, hate a character so much that, you know, it, it, it affected his psyche. But seriously though, wow. could you imagine the most hated character in star Wars history being played by a kitty toucher though? Oh my God. Uh, but 
I what? hate Jar Jar. Uh, I understand the necessity of the character to move the story along, but... But why would anybody come out and tell him they hated the character? Oh, no, we, we, because the internet. But us good nerds, we don't like the character, but we're not going to go on and a, a message board or Instagram or Twitter saying what a crappy character it is. At least those of us that are halfway decent. Decent human <laughs> beings aren't going to do that. But again, in the age of the internet, every rotten piece of garbage... Uh, well, actually, we can probably reference uh, Star Wars um, right now. Uh, um, uh, you will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. You know, so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Two, uh, I'll, I'll wrap things up with two last things that uh, I don't have them in front of me, but th these are sort of off of memory from my own personal knowledge of uh, George Lucas and things that happened. Sure. So there was a computer game that was, um, that came, I think it was called Star Wars Galaxies, and it was a massive multiplayer online game. Mm -hmm. And George Lucas got himself involved he wanted to have some manner of control and he decided that he wanted this game to have a real economy meaning people would go out and farm digitally acquired minerals and mm -hmm. they would go and sell that in a market so and then they could buy digitally created wood or electronics or you know whatever and so this living marketplace would thrive and be the game well the game had problems <laughs> yeah shocker shocker i know and uh from what uh, i remember hearing uh there were people that were complain uh, one of the glitches that happened was someone found an exploit where they were able to duplicate money Oh, counterfeiters and in space. So, yes. Yeah, so what happened was this individual would just randomly mail the money that he could f make create for, out of nothing, you know, thus destroying the economy. Mm -hmm. He randomly mailed money to other people, random strangers. Jeez. Oh, and so the game designers are starting to ban, perma-ban people for this infraction and i'm using air quotes and and uh you know people are starting to complain like hey wait a minute so and so didn't do anything wrong they just got this money from out of nowhere and they don't know how they got it and and the guy's like nope they're banned and so these people are starting to complain it's like you're banned too and it became a complete cluster and uh uh make when, a long when, story short when was the this game, game failed <laughs> well, when when was this uh game what what year was this uh were they trying this um, out? I don't remember. Uh, roughly. I'm thinking late 90s or early 2000s. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, it was in the 2000s. I think it was called Star Wars Galaxies, if someone wants to Google that up. So the, anyway, the, before before I wrap up, I want to talk about... Um, so George Lucas, you know, everyone has got certain got faults, but I want to talk about a step-up moment. So sure. the actor that played Bib Fortuna, 
That was the Twi'lek. That's the uh, second-hand man of Jabba the Hutt. Uh, Jabba the Hutt. And it was he. This this character had red eyes, and so this actor wore contact lenses. Mm-hmm. And the contact lenses was a problem, and it blinded the actor. It like ripped his corneas off or something. Oh dear lord! But yeah, blinded for life. And so George Lucas set this guy up. You know, George Lucas is now a rich man. By the time the you know third movie's coming around. And just take care of this guy for life. So I don't know how he took care of him, but I I, I trust that uh, all his needs were met. You know, uh, because wow. of, uh, you know, so that uh, to, yeah. to, to lose your sight like that, you know, is, is, yeah. I didn't know sucked. that. That's horrible. That's that. But yeah. you know, good for Lucas for writing, right. doing his best to right the wrong. So, all right, yeah, Star Wars. He started in 2003, shut down in 2011 after a, a whole bunch of cons- uh, 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 issues. Chicanery. Not to mention, yeah, not to mention the whole uh, coin thing and people yeah. being being face and all that shit. Yeah. Oh God. So, all right. Well, I'll tell you what. We're gonna we're gonna go ahead and uh, hit the break right now uh, and get ready to talk about some horror movies hand-selected by Michelle featuring the one and only I don't want to say her name again is Meg Meg Foster, right? Meg Foster, yes. Yes, Meg Foster. So, old blue eyes (laughs) coming at you. So we'll be right back uh, right after this. to go home and rethink your life. I want to go home and rethink my life. And now, on with the show. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. It's going to be a good night. It came from Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok. When human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish undertaking. Something evil. It came from Cleveland, and that will not come out in the wash. Not recommended for impressionable children. There's no kids listening. What are we kidding? Welcome back to It Came From Cleveland, Episode 7 for May 14th, 2021. We roll on with our celebrity birthdays. And uh, welcome back to Joe. Hello, Joe. Hello. How are you? (laughs) How are you? How are you? How are you? I... uh... And of course, Miles. Thank you for the George Lucas uh, talk there. That that's very fun. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and lastly, we get to Michelle. 
Um, we've got uh, some uh, a, a really, really cool um, underrated actress, uh, in my opinion, or actor, I should say, uh, Meg Foster, uh, who has yes, been in a number of yeah. uh, classic horror films and, um, you know, a lot of great things. If you've ever seen anybody with blue eyes that are just piercing, they just sit back and they make you notice her before the woman herself. You might know Meg Foster. Oh, absolutely. And you know, the, and the thing is, I, I, this is what I wanted to, to tell you about. Um, um, the, the, when Susan was younger, she, uh, and, and, you know, still somewhat to this day, she, she bears a, a, a slight resemblance to Meg Foster. Primarily her eyes. Her eyes are very, very, very nice. light, icy blue. And one time she went into a convenience store uh, near her apartment building, probably about 20-some-odd years ago, and this kid looked at her and says, I know you, you're in the movies. and Or you're on the TV or something like that. And I was thinking, you know what, that kid probably saw her eyes and thought, you know, Meg Foster because they're so striking, you know, and you know, Meg, hmm? yeah, she's been uh, she's been through the gamut. She's TV, movies, everything. So yeah, yeah. So so this, you know, I, I'm thinking this little kid probably saw her eyes first because you know, obviously, you, you know, you see people's eyes, and and I think that's who she, uh, who the kid thought she might have been, um, you know. Uh, but, uh, and, and, uh, she also told me that she used to go, I think the same store, the guy or another store, I don't know. Um, the guy would look at her and say, Oh, look, you have eyes of Cobra, you know, <laughs> some guy from another country that, right. you know, yeah. So, but anyway, uh, yeah. So let's get to it. Where, where do you want to start with Meg Foster? Well, we can talk a little bit about her. Um, she was born in Reading, Pennsylvania on May 10th, 1948. So that's why we are. Um, uh, 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 she, uh, we picked her out for this week. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, but she's an excellent actress. She's been she's been acting since 1969. Mm -hmm. Which played in Net Playhouse. It's a very unusual series. So yeah. she was out throughout the 70s. Yeah, throughout the 70s, she also guest starred on numerous TV shows. So if you have seen her eyes, I'm pretty sure you've seen her in some 70s TV show. Yeah, a lot of 80s movies as well, too. So, And and she has some horror chops, but yes. she has been everywhere. So that's mm -hmm. that's why I picked, I picked, I'm known for the horror person, but I wanted to pick some fantasy and some sci-fi tonight, so... And that's great because you know, uh, you know. I mean, it's it's all tangentially related, and um, you know, again, it's it's a broad. You know, she represents a broad spectrum of uh, you know th that a lot of character actors uh, work within. And I'm glad you picked some uh, you know some keen stuff from uh, her uh, you know fantasy and sci-fi uh, roles. Yeah, it kind of sucks because most of it's from like her. Hercules or Xena, but actually, I like Xena more than Hercules. Because, well, yeah, because Kevin Sorbo's yeah. a piece of junk. Yeah, he. he <laughs> but, 
but back then when he was doing the Hercules series, it was actually fun. So, um, sure. and um, what people don't know is that she played Hera. Yes. Uh, uh, Hercules' uh, mother, correct? Correct, yes. Yeah. Well, no. Actually, Hercules' stepmother. Oh, okay. Okay. Remember, remember Zeus Zeus would seduce anything that was female and on two legs most of the time. He yeah. actually seduced bulls too. So well, maybe a go. few few more legs. Um, so uh, that's how do you think uh, centaurs came about? No, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, so uh, but yeah, tell us a little bit more about her on uh, as Hera, and then we'll we'll get to the audio clips. Yeah, because um, you know, basically Zeus is is he would um, fornicate with anything on two legs. You know, Philanderer. basically he went after. Yeah, he went after mortal women. He would seduce them, and then most of the part he would sit back and just watch what happened until Hera found out, and then Hera in the, in the Hercules the Legendary Journeys, which mm. Kevin Sorbo did star in. I'm sorry. Um, we can't blame that on Meg. Yeah, no, it's not Meg's fault. But yeah. they kind of kept the animosity between Zera, uh, between Hera and Zeus, mm -hmm. and it was kind of cool. So um, that's where we're gonna go because uh, you know she she hated Zeus. She knew he was fooling around on her, and she was not happy with it. All right. Your son has abandoned you, Zeus. And you have no allies left to speak of. You will never, ever take my throne. I thought I was going to have to take your power. With the help of the other gods. But not anymore. You, dear husband, are going to give it to me. I would destroy Olympus first. You know, I couldn't understand why you waited so long to bring Hercules to Olympus until now. You didn't want to take him away from his mother. She wasn't just a casual encounter, was she? You chose her. <laughs> Your jealousy has made you delusional. And your love for a mortal woman will be your undoing. Oh, she is super serious. Yes, and I love that role because yeah. she's basically taking back the fact that Zeus has been running around for her all these eons. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, you know, uh, seriously, uh, uh, great Hera. Uh, she's not great uh, Hera for for nothing, right? No, and what's what's interesting is the the thing is with that series. Yeah, they're making light of the the, the ethos and the Greek mythology, but it's bringing in it. It's still got a lot of stuff in there that's actually truthful. Yeah. Or at least uh, 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 staying true to the the mythos, right? It's not it's not becoming completely Christianized, so which is nice. And um, but um, there's a point where Hera loses her memory. It's actually and not actually. 
she didn't lose it, but the fates took it away from that her. Oh. Figuring, yeah, they were figuring it was kind of like messing with the world order, and something was really, really bad. It was going to bring apart the the Greek version of Ragnarok. It's going to just destroy everything. So they took her memories away, but the fates can never discard what they have woven. All right. And this this allows Meg Foster to show a little bit more of the softer side of Hera. What's the matter? I've grown quite attached to him. It takes the simplicity of a child to teach us the most obvious lessons. Vando's right. Sometimes we can just start over. I've made so many mistakes here. And sooner or later you're going to remember all of them, but if you're willing, I'll spend eternity trying to make them up to you. Please, please be my wife again. Zeus always was a charmer, wasn't he, dear mother? Perhaps you've forgotten how many women he's charmed. Well, it's a good thing the fates never throw away the history they weave. I suppose I should consider myself lucky. Why? I get to fall in love with you for the first time all over again. Oh, okay. So yeah, that's that's quite the... Um, um, again uh spread of her uh or or, or um breadth I, I should say of her acting abilities there that we've just heard in these two clips yeah, because she took a character that was completely antagonistic towards zeus mm-hmm. and then she had to throw it around a bit to try to uh recover the romance they had before they were uh all part of gods and started going at, at at the ends with each other yeah. So, um, but and yeah, and just ahead. and just to clarify, the guy that was at the end was saying, like, mother, you know, I, I the fates never throw away what they have uh, uh, woven. That's Mars, and he's a jackass through the entire series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mars is is kind of a you know just about every iteration of yeah, every, uh, yep. Mars has been a a jag off so. Uh, yeah, <laughs> makes sense. Um, but you know, I, I did see, I had a, a roommate at one point. It was a huge fan of Xena warrior princess. And I did watch, you see, the thing was the, uh, Hercules, uh, legendary journeys and, uh, Xena warrior prince or yeah, Xena warrior princess were, those were, that was like the area of tele the, the the era of television i should say where i wasn't really watching a lot of television because i was just out on my own and you know struggling to make ends meet i was in a band and chasing girls and uh, all that jazz so i kind of missed out on that but i did have a roommate that was a big fan of xena and and lucy lawless is incredible uh i gotta say she's been in so much good stuff um, uh, but yeah, but, but Meg Foster, I know more, I guess, from a lot of the, the eighties movies, uh, they live and in, in, um, oblivion, which was late nineties, which is such a ridiculous film. I love it. Um, uh, good Roger Corman movie. 
with uh, George Takei and Julie Newmar as well. <laughs> uh, yes. But no, but yeah, this this is interesting, and this makes listening to these clips makes me want to uh, watch her performances in in this series. That's why um, when when the, the Zena clip comes up, um, basically Zena in this clip, it's it's kind of like a uh, foreshadowing dream. It's a weird episode, but mm -hmm. basically carrying the child that will replace the gods. All right. So the, and that's uh, Meg Foster as Hera in clip three, correct? Yes. Yes. All right, here we go. Nonsense. Everything that breathes upon this earth breathes because we've given it life. Our dominion here is eternal. You told me once, dear husband, that all things must come to an end. Why should we be any exception? Because I have always been the master of fate. I'm not about to become a servant. Well. Yeah. You can see uh, uh, Zeus's hubris showing through. Oh yeah, yeah, that was very hubrisy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the and that's that's cool. That uh, and I'll give props to you know Xena, Warrior Princess, and uh, Hercules: The Legendary Journeys uh, for uh, you know trying to basically out of nothing trying to start a franchise that you know was able to carry over other characters from one show to another um although it bad mythology too yeah yeah exactly and you know and, and honestly i i think those shows probably um we wouldn't have a lot of the fantasy television we have now you know like uh game of thrones vikings um, uh, American Gods, things like that. I don't think we would have shows like that now if they hadn't laid the foundation for it. Because, I mean, it, if you think about it, I guess the closest thing to anything like that that was ever on television was maybe the Linda Carter Wonder Woman series. Um, and Joe, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't there a... Um, gosh, w there was a Knights of the Rant. Was it a Sir, Sir Lancelot? show from the 50s or something yeah come to think of it but there really there were never really a lot of fantasy shows on tv i mean robin hood i suppose you could you yeah, could throw robin in hood there mm -hmm. um but yeah nothing really uh on the scale of you know and and i guess because you know uh what there's one god <laughs> you know just go back to george carlin um yeah <laughs> but uh you know that could have been the big turnoff for a lot of a lot of folks um uh, so i don't know uh but yeah that's um uh, uh i think that they probably you know those two shows laid the groundwork you know uh the groundwork for um a lot of modern fantasy shows we have now then what's other what's also interesting is um other uh well fan not fantasy but uh sci-fi sci-fi is fantasy in space yeah so she crossed all those zones she crossed horror she was in sci-fi she was in fantasy everything and uh i actually one of the most memorable uh, moments I had of her was on DS9. And I have that clip ready for you right now. 
You're a writer. I could see you were somewhere else. Some place you were inventing. I'm uh, working on a story. I can spot a creative soul a galaxy away. My name is Onaya. Jake Sisko. Do you live here? Yes. I love Cardassian architecture, the way things flow together. Kel used to say that every element had to be of a piece, yet have a beauty all its own. Tavor Kel, the architect? I knew him when he was in exile. What was he like? He was shy, unsure of himself and his talent. Most people would never notice someone like him, but I have a weakness for artists. Oh. So, Jake Sisko... Can, can I what I love uh, about this piece? Yeah, please. Okay. just It, it brings the fantasy and the sci-fi together. The muse. The muse Absolutely. is the fantasy mythology creature that uh, helps um, promote artists. Yes. And the fact that this 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 episode was named that and her character who had an intrigue in artists, I love it. No, it, it, that's great. And again, um I I have been rewatching a lot of uh, Deep Space 9 episodes recently and that show's kind of almost finally getting its due. A lot I of I loved it from <laughs> I have too, but I missed out on a lot of it again because that's part of that deck, you know, that era of television I missed out on. Yeah. But I'm, uh, you know, BBC America has been replaying the series, and um, a lot of people are really taking notice and saying, "Wow, that was a really great series." And uh, and I think it, it has a lot to do with you know the time it came out in the in the fan base and whatnot. So. Um, but no, that, that's, uh, you know, I, I can't wait to see, um, you know, more of those episodes and I want to go watch this episode of Meg Foster as the muse. You'll enjoy it. It does not have the ending you would expect though. <laughs> well, and that's the thing about Deep Space Nine. There was some really clever writing going on that show. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I'll definitely check it out. Joe, were you a Star Trek Deep Space Nine fan at all? I was. I, I was a fan of all the uh, iterations of Star Trek. Oh, very good. Very good. Do you remember yes. this episode? I don't. I don't. In fact, I don't remember a lot of Deep Space Nine, although I've seen every single episode, but I don't remember a lot of it. Well, uh, you know, unlike... Unlike the original series, uh, you know, you haven't seen every episode, you know, 16 times. times. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I know the dialogue from yeah. every episode on the original series. Yeah. And, and Miles, oh, yeah. Miles, you're a, a DS9 fan as well? Uh, yes, the first few seasons. And then I kind of, it just, uh, I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't keep up with it. Well, I loved it when Worf came on, but again, I, I wasn't seeing, you know, it, Worf and uh, not only that, but, um, oh, uh, what was the engineering guy? Um, uh, Cole Meany played, uh, played him. Uh, oh, gosh. O'Brien. Yes, O'Brien. Yes, yeah. O'Brien. So, 
Cole Meany apparently is in a new show. I think the Gangs of London or something right now. But anyway, That's right. that would yeah. fit him well. Yeah. So, but Michelle, um, all right, we're we're coming up on the break, and we have three Meg Foster trailers um, for this break, which is very oh, yes, fun. Yes, we do. So, why don't you go ahead and uh, wrap things up, and we'll uh, we'll roll along, and we'll get into some uh, magic mushrooms and Twilight Zone when we come back. I would be happy to. Uh, Meg Foster, uh, blue eyes from beyond the grave. Her eyes are amazing. Her acting talent is very um, diverse as well. She's been in a lot of horror movies, a lot of sci-fi, but she's been that face you see in a TV series that you do not uh, immediately place, but you know you've seen her. Her mm-hmm. eyes are that iconic. Yeah, yeah. And our trailer's coming up. Uh, you want to mention those? Yeah, we have uh, 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 two trailers that were Rob Zombie movies, 31 and The Lords of Salem. The Lords of Salem is by far my favorite. But we also have a trailer that's a fun comedy trailer. It's called Shrunken Heads. It's an amazing film. If you have not seen it, go see it. It's funny and silly, and I I love it. I think we actually have uh, Jeepers Creepers three was the third, the third trailer. Yeah, that's oh okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's a but yeah. I, I forgot the three I sent you. <laughs> no, that's okay. So, uh, but yeah, so there we go. Uh, Thirty one, Lords of Salem, and Jeepers Creepers three coming up right now. I think I'll have me a little drinky winky. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Tonight, we are going to play 31. Is it hunting time now? <laughs> you want to see something funny? <laughs> <laughs> I should apologize in advance for not sharpening this thing. (laughs) Grunge. Fear has a scent. I've seen that thing in Haven 23 years ago. Damn, slaughterhouse on wheels. When it comes, it'll kill anyone that's still here. We need Tamar, shopkeeps, farmers, anyone who's looked this thing out of eye and lived to tell about it and wants to do something about it. What happened here happened before. Just tell me one thing. Did you bring something that can kill it? 
what is the secret to what this thing is? It's the secret of how to kill it. Jeepers Creepers. What? Wasn't that the song the guy sang or something? the new tenant? I just saw the tenant like 10 minutes ago standing in the doorway. Oh, I hate to break it to you, but there is no person in number five. You have to understand that there is a war waging in heaven. child would inherit the earth. Satan, Satan come, come to us! God does not spare angels when they sin. into it I'm gonna do a speed round tonight on the I'm program so sorry. Uh, no uh, no don't be sorry about anything um we're having a good time here I'm, I, I think our seventh show we overcame the stupid technical difficulties that uh, discord sprang on us and uh, we are uh moving one step beyond that right <laughs> <So> <laughs> yes and um, I, I just I forgot what trailers I think. Oh no, no, that's fine. That's why we. That's the great thing about the show is we marinate in all these different uh, shows and movies and stuff like that, and we fall down rabbit holes, and they're fun rabbit holes, and they're not political rabbit holes. <laughs> right. <know? laughs> So, I mean, whatever little, uh, you know, uh, 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 thing we have going on, uh, you know, uh, whatever minor snafu we might have here and there is nothing compared to pounding uh, our desks with fists of rage at uh, current events or anything like that. So, um, so, all right. So here we go. Welcome back, Michelle and Miles and Joe. 
And is... uh, we are going to do uh, our Twilight Zone review here in a moment. But we have something that uh, Joe uh, procured for us. And I, I watched this in its entirety today. Um, we've been talking a lot about One Step Beyond, the precursor to The Twilight Zone. Uh, debuted a year earlier than The Twilight Zone. And there is an episode of this program that was banned from syndication after its initial broadcast. Uh, his, I don't think... I couldn't find it on Amazon Prime. I had to go to YouTube to find it. And, uh, Joe, why don't you set this up a little bit for us? We've got a few audio clips. They're all relatively short, so I think we'll be able to get through all of them before our Twilight Zone review. Um, tell us what's going on here. Yeah, the uh, the announcer on the show, his name was John Newman. Yeah. And uh, the, most of the shows were episodic. Uh, we played one with uh, Cloris Leachman a couple weeks back. The Dark Room. So... The Dark Room, right. And they were uh, based on, our, all of the episodes were based on urban legend. So they had some basis in, shall I say, in air quotes, as Miles would say, facts. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> facts that facts that circulated as urban legends for years and years and years. Uh, so they would ex- dramatize these things. But this particular episode wasn't like any of the others. It was actually very documentary because mm-hmm. John Newland himself um, participated in, well, an acid trip. <laughs> More Pretty less. much. Pretty much. Pretty much, yes. Um, what he does is uh, during this episode, he uh, traveled to uh, a small rural town in Mexico where some uh, local priests, I forget what they call them, shaman or... Uh, uh, yeah, they had a, I remember a the exact... Yeah. For them. Uh, th- they um, performed rituals in which they burned certain herbs and ate the sacred mushroom, yes. which they purported would give um, psychic ability. And Man. enhance your extrasensory perception. Mm-hmm. So he went down to Mexico with a, uh, a team of doctors and scientists to explore the uh, nature of this magic mushroom. And here's clip one. known only as X. It was discovered barely weeks ago growing in a remote rainforest. Science has not yet given it a name, for science knows scarcely anything about it. But it is felt that X might have one remarkable quality, that it stimulates extrasensory perception, enabling the mind to become telepathic and clairvoyant. Now, that's a rather large claim. Is it true or false? The answer to that question took us on a unique and distant journey. All right. 
Mm-hmm. So he goes to uh, in the next clip, I believe, where he he discusses the flight and um, the doctor who is the researcher, the American researcher throughout this throughout the trip, and then later on um, explains to him the legend of uh, the sacred mushroom. All right, here we go. We're in Mexico, thousands of miles from our Hollywood sound stages in a place called Mitla, on the very edge of civilization. There are no actors, there's no script. For this psychic report can only be recorded at the moment it happens. Here in the plaza of the kings of Zapotec, here in the antiquity of Mexico, we begin a search whose ending at this very moment of filming, we do not know. We are searching for something far older than these ruins which, if found, could hurt an ordinary man infinitely beyond his five senses. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot going on in this episode where they visit this, uh, eventually visit the village. Uh, They can only be reached by aircraft. There's only one guy who speaks the language. Yes. And then Donkey. Uh, Much of it had to be... They had, they had to go by donkey. There was a stolen and, uh, donkey when they get, when at they one point too. Finally, get to the village. If I remember these clips correctly, um, they're met with some resistance. Yeah, and that. Uh, well, we'll play clip three and see if uh, that matches your recollection. It breaks up to go about its various investigations. Doctor Brown and a missionary nurse named Dean Duggan go looking for the mushroom, guarded by armed soldiers, because in the past months. Shots have been fired, machetes have been flashed, and mushroom hunters who came before us have been murdered. Yeah, there's been a murder of mushroom hunters. Yes. So they um, they go on the mushroom hunt, and uh, they sort of have to convince the, the villagers um, to cooperate. Nobody wants yeah. to even admit that there's such a thing, and everyone denies that there's such a thing as a mushroom sacred mushroom or, or a cult priest the, yeah they they say it's a mushroom cult which is kind cult. of a kind of offensive now but you know back then i i get it right so um finally the doc the the scientist like i said that was throughout this episode the american scientist finally decides what he'll do is maybe he'll hold a medical clinic which was popular Mm-hmm. And uh, if he did a free clinic, maybe they would be the villagers would be grateful enough to open up and you know sort of introduce them to the uh, the high priest or whoever performs these uh, rituals. The shroom, the shroom master, the, sh- the shroom. <laughs> I think as we wait, or... and then oddly enough, the first sound we hear as the chemical in the mushroom takes effect is loud. Oh, wait, wait, wait. All Just right. hold that clip okay. a second. There you go. Yeah, what's happening here in this this clip is that they finally do uh, get to this shaman, and uh, he has them all eat the mushroom, and he burns these in these uh, herbs. And when he does, uh, one of the part the party that's with John Newland is having a reaction. Okay, that's the clip. All right. So here we go. As we wait. And then oddly enough, the first sound we hear as the chemical in the mushroom takes effect is laughter. 
<laughs> the Brujo has just told of an amusing moment from Bill's childhood in Indiana. Indiana, a place the Brujo does not even know exists. Now, each of the group tests the extrasensory powers of the Brujo. Sometimes he is accurate, sometimes he is not. Well, brighten the eyes. The whole rabbit uh, will brighten the eyes. Ah, huh. oh, that's perfect. This means clairvoyance. The following is one moment when he is startlingly correct. Suddenly he turns to Dr. Brown, whom of course he has never seen or heard of before. Very good. No, no, but I have to eat it. You're still sick. You're sick in the chest. Your heart. Your heart is sick. Can you ask? How sick? No, let's try to get a pencil. Without a moment's hesitation, he accurately diagnosed a personal illness that only Dr. Brown knows about. Yeah, the, well, the... A woman doctor had a uh, heart condition. She had, he, yeah, some kind of yeah. a murmur or, or irregular heartbeat mm-hmm. that uh, only she was aware of. Uh, but this uh, shaman just correctly diagnosed that. The next clip, uh, clip five, I, I believe, is they come back to the United States and then they now they go to the uh, the laboratory of the of the American doctor where John Newland is going to experiment with the mushroom himself. Yeah, yeah. And this was pretty wild because uh, they kind of established a control to see if he had extrasensory mm-hmm. perception beforehand and everything. And, right. um, you know, it, it was kind of neat. And actually, I saw a Perry Mason episode that used some of the same tests. Uh as as they used in this show, which was kind of cool. So uh, here's the clip Joe's talking about. We've come to the home and laboratory of Dr. Andre Puharish in Northern California. For me, personally, this next step beyond may be a rather large one. It, it could very well be. Could be. Mushrooms were could dry, be. too. They didn't, they didn't give him a glass of juice, either. No. So. No. So uh, they go into the lab, and he does some pretests with, with uh, John Newland. He makes him, uh, blindfolds him, and, and makes him, uh, he has a box with some uh, uh, playing cards, mm-hmm. blocks that have playing card numbers on them, and asks him to, to feel them and if he could tell them which playing cards is which. And, well, he flunks terribly. Yeah. Okay, so the, the control test he has absolutely no ESP, no uh, no no abilities at all. So he ain't nothing he special. <laughs> he ain't nothing special. Yeah. So he, he administers the mushroom. All right. And well, it's been about twenty minutes. Oh, since I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, you ready for that clip? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been about twenty minutes since you had the mushroom, John. How do you feel? Uh, fine. I feel uh, strong. Sort of, you know, I'm kind of hard to, uh, strong. A sense of, uh, a kind of sense of well-being. Is that, uh, yes, some people feel that way. Let's try something. All right. Okay, so here's what they're going to try. 
you know, and anybody who has done acid knows that um, the mind-altering effects of uh, LSD, and I would suspect that's <laughs> what we're talking about here, although they never said that, mm-hmm. um, is uh, enhanced audio and visual perception. Yeah. So he sets John Newland up in front of a sparking light strobe type machine. And this is the next clip. He asks John Newland what what he sees. Uh, I think this is the one. And tell me clip what seven. you see. There we go. Lower your head a little bit. A little more. I see so many things I can't tell you. Can't you slow it? Slow it? Now I see like... But I see so many colors that are... Go... Are they pretty? In geometric signs, that now there's like great things. They're magnificent. What they are. They're magnificent. I have never been so aware of color. Of color. It makes me quite dizzy. I feel like I would like to dive into the middle of it. Just dive right in the middle of it. Yeah, he can, he wants to get into this. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hence, I guess, some of the people that jumped out windows, they did it. But anyway. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's dark. He dove, yeah, he dove right. Well, it happened. Uh, he dove True. right into it. And um, so then they retest him. And now he, with the, the cards and mm-hmm. with some photographs, when he's, when he's blindfolded and is asked to touch the photographs, touch the cards, and tell them what he's seeing or, or what cards they are. Um, and I don't, I don't have any clips beyond clip seven. I don't oh, know if okay. I missed one or not, but we, could, we can, you know, he tested much better after much being better. on the shrooms. Especially with the photographs. Yes. He was very accurate with the photographs. So oh, it was um, eerie when he was doing the waterfall photograph in this. And, and the, yeah, because it, he, yeah, he mentions not only what he feels he's seeing in the photograph, but sound, sound and power, and power of the right the water, yeah, uh, waterfall. And then there was another uh, one that was a religious uh, picture. It was uh, Mary, Jesus, and a cherub, or something like that. And he yeah, and, and, said, and he I see a face looking. looking this way and that way. and Right, so, right. Pretty uh, fascinating. Yeah, clip clip eight and nine, which w- you don't have. Um, I, I No, I don't. I, I don't know what happened, uh, but I do not have those. Sort of summarize. Um, I don't know if you can grab them from the, uh, the I chat. Will, but anyway. Yeah, I'll, I'll look. Uh, anyway, they, they summarize what happened. And um, so basically, uh, he, he told the professor he now understands why the people were so reluctant to share this because it, it, it was so fantastic to him. And you have to remember, this is back before. Well, it, well here, I, I can play them. They might be kind of quiet, but I I don't know why some of these, these clips don't show up on Discord. Um as the others, because I downloaded all the other ones, but uh, these uh, did not. But all right, here here we go. Uh, here's clip uh, clip eight for you. It's going to be a little quiet, so listen up. 
Oh, it's so quiet. Okay, no, that's not going to work. Yeah, so, okay. But basically, he, he summarizes what happened and said he now understands why they wanted to keep the secret and the power of this um, of this um, sacred mushroom. Yeah, why they wanted it's it. It's noteworthy that around the time John, uh, John Newland went to Mexico to... Uh, to, to do this documentary was around the time Timothy Leary ventured to Mexico on the same type of mission. Ah. They were within a year of each other. Okay. Um, but it was a, a, a big uh, breakthrough in psychic ability and in, 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 uh, in psychedelic drugs. Yeah. That we know, and we know LSD was used by the military, you know, for various mm-hmm. uh, experiments. Yeah. And it did enhance people's perception of color and life movement. So, um, and it had hallucinations. And John Newland even said that even months later, he was still in ha- having flashback effects of this uh, Oof. mushroom. I've never yeah, done the, um, mushrooms, so. But go ahead, Michelle. Yeah, the chemi- the chemical term for it is psilocybin. Mm-hmm. Good. That's the mushroom. Mm-hmm. So, supposedly some great effects. It actually really helps depression and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. supposedly, like it, it can really turn people around. Well, you know yeah. what I what I know will uh, bring on depression is the Twilight Zone episode we're about to review in uh, <laughs> a couple <laughs> <Yeah>. minutes. <laughs> but I have to say, if, just just as a note that uh, yeah, go for, ahead. for anyone who hasn't seen One Step Beyond, it's there's a couple two seasons two or three seasons of three three it, three it, it is a a great series and uh well worth uh like francie said in the chat binge watching <laughs> well it's, yeah. it's a lot of fun and, and and that's the thing we're gonna incorporate that as um we get caught up on the first season of twilight zone this will be a show that we use for uh you know fill-ins as we go uh and uh-huh. you know and, and you know we've done two episodes now uh but uh we only have a few minutes left so we're gonna have to and thank you joe for uh, clipping all that audio my apologies discord again you know sometimes it, this is like the second or third time this has happened that you guys send me clips and not all of them show up until later it's weird i have no idea what's going on but again, they surprised us tonight with, you know, the uh, noise filter thing. Uh, I'm glad we got that sorted out. Hopefully that's one of the last technical difficulties we have on this show. But, uh, uh, Joe, any uh, final thoughts on this episode or One Step Beyond before we get to the quickie Twilight Zone review? No, that's it. I'll, I'll, I will uh, give you my favorite episodes of One Step Beyond as we go forward. And, uh, you know, we can play with that. Uh, in later episodes. Absolutely. All right. Well, here we go. Into the Twilight Zone. There we go. So, all right. The <laughs> the intro for Season 1, Episode 31, broadcast 61 years ago to the day, The Chaser. Mr. Roger Shackleforth, age youthful 20s. Occupation, being in love. Not just in love, but madly, passionately, illogically, miserably, all-consumingly in love. 
with a young woman named Leela who has a vague recollection of his face and even less than a passing interest. In a moment, you'll see a switch because Mr. Roger Shackleforth, the young gentleman so much in love, will take a short but very meaningful journey into the Twilight Zone. Okay, I want to hand the reins over to Michelle on this episode because I was not a fan. I did not like it at all. <laughs> um, it was... Um, it was the roofie episode of the Twilight Zone, but that I want very predictable. <laughs> I I want Michelle to uh, and again it was, it, it just felt so misogynistic and gross that I just the whole time I was like, all right, when is it going to be over? When is it going to be over? Uh, tell me what you found redeeming about this this episode, Michelle. First of all, yeah, it was slightly misogynistic, but she was a money rubber. She the, the 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 female character in this was she set herself up to be a party girl to be you know she was out there to find a rich husband. Okay. Yeah. So basically, yeah. So it basically starts off with this young man. He's sitting at a phone booth. If none of you know what a phone booth is, I feel sorry. <laughs> I feel sorry and happy for you because phone booths are no longer a thing. But Where, back then, how on earth will Superman change into his outfit? Well, back then also they were a form of communication. You're yeah. living in New York City, you had to go to a phone booth. Yeah. If you're not at home. So that's the only way you can make a phone call. So people are lined up in the in, in the phone booth. You know, this guy's trying to it was a community uh cell phone, essentially. Yeah, pretty much. It's basically you sat in a diner. You waited in line until the phone got free so you could make your call. So, yeah. The, yeah. So, he's calling and calling, not getting through. People are lining up. Just one rich guy gets up behind everybody else and starts buying everybody else off in line. Gets up to the guy. And as his, his phone call goes through and the rich guy is listening in on his phone conversation, he realizes that this guy's phone call is not going the way he wanted it to. Mm -hmm. He's calling somebody he supposedly loved, and she was giving him the brush off. So, basically, when he gets on the phone, he the rich guy tells, look, I know who you need to talk to. Go talk to go to this address, blah, blah, blah. And it will take care of all of your problems. And then he jumps in line, gets on the phone, and makes his phone call. And that's where that part of the story ends. Yeah, and uh, from there, uh, again, oh gosh, I really, I, I I hate to be such a curmudgeon, but this episode okay. grossed me out so much. I, you want I me just, to go? Uh, uh, no, no. Uh, well, I'll, uh, Miles, you watched it too, right? Oh, yeah, I watched it. All right, so you, you did that long slog. <laughs> so, uh, it, we, uh, yeah. 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 Go ahead. I mean, it's uh, so he goes to this guy who's talks in riddles, or he's like a, a know-it-all. Yeah, he's like, oh yeah, you're here for this. You're not here for that. Oh, you're you're here for this. Oh, you're not here for that. Mm. And eventually, it gets down to the point where, um, oh, you want a love potion? Yeah, that's, he that's goes. To, basically, he goes to this guy who's like a sorcerer, or demon, or something like that, who is a alchemist, library yeah. alchemist, whatever. Has a library Damn, full yeah. of spells and, you know, uh, mystical baubles, what have you. 
Right. So the love potion, which you know, that's this isn't the first time. It's uh, it's in mythology all over the place. Oh no! Yeah. yeah. It's it's a classic. It's a, a, a trope of Spanish how fly. to capture the heart of a woman that is for one dollar no that hates you. <laughs> or doesn't even know you exist. For yeah, one yeah, exactly. dollar. For a buck. And uh, <laughs> what a deal. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Joe, do you want to pick it up from there? And we're we're <laughs> uh, we're right at, at ten o'clock, so we got to kind of speed round this. Well, you know, uh, be careful what you wish for. You know, so he mm -hmm. gives the potion to this woman who has no use for him, and. The result is, well, she falls madly in love with them, so much in love with him that she has a smothering love for him. He is like clingy and yeah. all over him. And he... oh, that poor fella! Oh, geez, you know, she's just too much. <laughs> she's doing that. What he wished for. <laughs> It's More so aggravating. It's so aggravating, though, because it's like you know. Uh, Oh, it, it just, uh, these types of stories drive me crazy because it's like, oh, I want, I'm obsessing, I'm calling her and her phone's busy and she won't answer my calls. She barely knows I exist. And now she knows I exist and it's, oh, heavens to Betsy, heavens to Murgatroyd. Yep. She loves me too much. Fuck you, dude. You're the one who roofied her. Sorry. Are we tied up? <laughs> yeah, tie it up, Michelle. I'm yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Michelle. I go hate this it. episode. I hate right. this episode. <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship with this episode. But oh. okay, so she becomes the most abject, devoted person to this man. She gives him everything he wants. She is the she is there to rub his feet. She is there to light his pipe. She is there to light his cigarette. She's there to make his dinner. And what a he, horrible existence. Yeah, and then he figures, oh well, the chase is gone. I'm not in, as in love with her as I thought. And she oh. is smothering me. So he goes back to this guy in this funky library room. Yeah. And he starts talking with him. He's like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll, my love is great. And he's like, yeah, that's not what you came here for. And he's like, no, my love is great. And she's, she's loving me. She's, she's there everywhere I need her to be. And the, the, the old professor guy is like, yeah, but that's not why you came here for. And he said, you came here for the glove cleaner. And he goes like, I don't know what the glove cleaner is. You know, no, you know what the glove cleaner is. It's the single most easy um, uh, way to deal with your situation. It leaves no trace. It will never be traced back. So you come here for the glove cleaners. Guy's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I love her. And he goes, Oh yes, that's what they all say. And he's like, Yeah, okay. And he says, How much a glove cleaner? One thousand dollars. Considering the first love potion was a buck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, he says, What? Well, okay. So the first thing you have to do with with this glove cleaner is. You have to give it to her as a drink. You cannot hesitate. If you hesitate, you are lost forever. It won't work for you ever again. And the guy's like, yeah, 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 I've got this. So he, he, and he says, like, this is my life savings. And the guy says, I know. It's always that way. So he sells him the glove cleaner. The guy takes the glove cleaner, takes it back home. 
in that beautiful par apartment they have. You know, she is doting upon him. He's like, oh, let's, you know, so, you know, I've got brought you flowers, oh, and here, you know, here's the yeah. And here's the here's the champagne, just like. And she's like, "Oh, like this, just just when we first met, and I wouldn't give you the time of day, but I I love you now. You are my everything." Blah blah. blah. He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," just like that. And so he pours out the champagne in both of the bottles. He puts a glove cleaner in one of them. He takes him over, and he sits on the couch. And as he's sitting on the couch, he's hesitating. And she's like, "Oh yes, I love you. I love you." And now. You get to see the fruits of her love, and she shows him a baby booty that she had just knitted. Mm -hmm. And he reaches out to grab the, the 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 glass and tips it over, and it drops on the ground. Yeah, he, he drops both could glasses. Not do it. And yeah, yeah. And he's he's he, <laughs> there. He is so. You know what? I uh, you buy a love potion. You know what? I'd buy that for a dollar. But a glove cleaner for a thousand dollars? What the hell is that? So, but seriously, th this epi that episode just upset me. I was not a fan. So it, it was not a happy. It was a just ending. It's not a happy episode, but it's a just ending for the episode. Oh yeah, that guy. Uh, seriously, just throw him off a cliff. Uh, seriously, he gave her a supernatural roofie, and he gets to live with it. So there you go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but then again, her free will was stripped from her, which is upsetting yeah, to me. Her, but she should not be killed for it. No, she shouldn't be killed. She should be set free. She should be given her free will back and go out yeah, and but find make, somebody but she truly live his, loves. Live the rest of his life in torture? Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> true, true. If she All can't right. be freed, at least punish the jackass. Well, I'll tell you what, um, uh, we're going to, uh, we, we've got about two minutes left on this piece of music, so I'm going to play the, the Graham Norton uh, uh, clip real quick with B. Arthur telling her a Getty joke, because we haven't played any B. B. Arthur stuff, so here's this, and then we'll, uh, we'll say our final goodbyes. Now, you did tell me a joke the other night. I'd love you to tell it again. The Estelle Getty joke. You want me to tell that joke? Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right, don't tell Estelle. <laughs> Why is walking a high wire like getting oral sex from Estelle Getty. I don't know. Whatever happens, don't look down. <laughs> All right, thank you, Miles. We got some B. Arthur in on the, on the <laughs> show, so. Uh, but all right, uh, any, uh, we have uh, less than a minute anybody has anything to say, say it now or forever. Right, so, uh, I'll, I'll just say no matter how bad things uh, you know, you, you think are, just remember Michael Jackson could have been Jar Jar Binks. Jesus God. Hmm. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> Alright. Good night everybody. We'll see you next week on It Came From Cleveland. Golf clap? Golf clap. <laughs> <laughs>